Welcome everyone to Comics from the Multiverse. It is episode 249. I am Peter and joining me as always is Matt. Alright, bing a ring. <laughs> Honor's here too. I'm back. Oh yes. Oh yeah, you were here you were gone last week. Hmm. Yes. Had to work. Nice. Um What are you doing? I need you from the grocery store. <laughs> Alright, go. <laughs> I already told you. I love that that happened. I, I barely finished introducing people. I haven't even said what the show is yet. The audience at home have, have heard Matt's wife. <laughs> and even that's a comic yeah. podcast yet. Well, I mean, the title gives it away yeah, a lot, but I suppose. Yeah, it's a DC Comics podcast. We get together, we talk about shows. Uh, and as we're coming up on our Milestone 250th episode... Uh, I'd love to say that that opening minute wasn't indicative of the quality that we bring to you on a weekly basis, but... Kind of is. Shambles! <laughs> so yeah, as we have DC Comics every week, the ones we've read, and coming up on this week's show, we got Batman the Detective Issue 1, we got Superman 30, Wonder Woman 771, Batman Urban Legends Issue 2, and Rorschach Issue 7. So that's what's coming up on today's show, plus a little bit, of, well, say a little bit, it's just one new story that I have uh, for for people. Oh, Carl's got more, okay, so Carl will tell us about something else. Uh, so that's what's coming up on the show this week. But we're going to start with our new tradition, which is looking at the Comixology Top 10 at the time. <laughs> this is not a tradition, you did it one time. This is the third time. Did I miss both the other times that you've remembered to do it? I said this is the third time. You said there's been one. That implies oh, okay. you've missed one. So Carr's math is just off the ball right right away here. <laughs> uh, it's been a long week, let me tell you. Uh, <laughs> I worked a 12 and a half hour shift yesterday without expecting to. <laughs> I'm just going to drink my cereal milk latte. Uh, you, you have the disgusting Sunday beverage. Um... So, it's, it's not as depressing as last week's Comixology Top 10. This is on the UK Comixology at the time of recording on a Saturday. Because uh, last week, there was literally one DC book in the Top 10. Uh, it was dire stuff. There's a bit more in this one. Uh, number one, though. Number one. Number one is Thor, issue 14. So... Thor's a good book right now. Arnold takes that slot. Uh, who's writing Thor right now? Kate. It, yes, Donny ah, Cates. Okay. And I think we're back to Nick Klein on art at the minute. They've mm -hmm. been rotating... I'm, uh, I, I'm behind because I forgot to pick up issue seven and it's on back order still. So fun. it's real good. Yeah. <laughs> so do you have a stack of like eight through 14? Uh -huh. I think yeah. do 14 because I won't buy them until I read them until I read seven. So I'm still waiting on seven. Also still waiting on uh, uh, Savage Shores. So fun. you're going to love that. Yes, I know. I see them you to see deliver you, uh, it. Diamond. Are you, still waiting on your, are you still waiting on your Hellarism? Don't get me started. <laughs> I put that box in the garage. I'm, I'm, that ship has sailed. Yeah. Uh, well, it's not Diamond's fault in that case, I suppose. Oh, no, because I hadn't transitioned yet. That was still no, Diamond. That was well into the Diamond period still. No, the problem with that one was <laughs> they'd only ordered a couple at my shop, and I didn't have it on my list. So when I went to go pick it up, speculators had already come in and bought them out. Um, yeah. Because no one else was reading that book but me. And then Stupid Punchline. <laughs> uh. I don't think we can blame Punchline or even Tynan or... Even we blame speculators, though. They're terrible. Yeah, speculators. Yeah. Uh, well, that was kind of the point I was getting to. It's their fault. Yeah. 
Uh, number two is also a Marvel book, uh, Daredevil issue 29. Uh, it's a very good book. Takes that slot. Yeah. Uh, I, I can't argue with that. Uh, number three is Batman the Detective issue one. So new Bat book debuts highly. Uh, number, f- number four is Rorschach issue seven. So, you know, the haste, I see not, that not surprised more. that that's pretty high. Yeah. Uh, number five is Superman 30. So, Ooh. nice uh, little batch of DC books there. Uh, number Wait. six... Oh. Did you look at these up on Tuesday? No, he's doing them right now. Oh, right now. This okay. is at the time of recording. So this is... Gotcha. So It'd DC... be very impressive if he did it on Tuesday, given that I'm assuming that uh, <laughs> Thor and Daredevil didn't come out. Oh, yeah. Wednesday. I forgot about those two. But I just, you know... <laughs> we talked about last week looking at Tuesday and seeing what the Marvel versus DC if, looks if like. If we did it on Tuesday, I guarantee you it would be more heavily skewed in favor of DC. Yeah, well, to be fair, the conversation last week was looking at it on Thursday, which the idea being it was a day after all the companies had had their books come out. Matt's skewing it completely to sell like we're trying to, like, jig the numbers. So DC... ain't trying, woo. <laughs> it, it was not as cooking the books as Matt is making it sound. Uh, it was, if anything, it was trying to make it more fair. Uh, that said, though, the fact that DC is still doing so well in the top 10 on Saturday is a good thing. It, it makes it more meaningful. So... Good. Uh, number six is Wolverine issue eleven. Uh, that's it. Is that Percy still writing Wolverine? Uh, I believe so. Yeah. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy thirteen is at number seven. Number eight is Wonder Woman seven seven one. Number nine is Children of the Atom issue two. It's an X Men thing, obviously. Mm-hmm. Well, I say obviously. I mean, if honestly, it's been such a long time since they've used Children of the Atom as a thing. I wouldn't necessarily be surprised if there's some casual X Men fans who wouldn't know that was an X-Men thing. And then uh, number 10 is The Joker, issue 2. So, uh, five DC books there in the top 10. Are you, are you not reading that? Uh, no, I chose not to read it this week. I can get behind that. Price, price increase or because, like, eh. No, I liked issue 1. I mean, this was purely a, that, a price choice. A point. Um, given that we know that the price increase was due to all the covers being mm-hmm. cardstock, Mm-hmm. Did they put the price up on the digital version as well? Uh, they did. That's uh. Oh, it's that's shady. It's the five ninety nine uh, mm. variant of you know because I mean it's like four seventy nine UK price, but that's the five ninety nine. That is bullshit. Yeah. Prevalent. Yeah. Um. Generally, my shop wasn't happy about that. You know. So. Probably not. But a lot of customers probably wanted to cancel their orders as soon as they mm-hmm. uh, found out. Mm. Uh. So that is that. Um, and just looking beyond the top 10 to see if there's anything particularly interesting to stick it out. Not a lot of DC immediately after. There's a lot of trades popping up. Uh, Invincible's Compendium still doing really well. They have all been on sale recently due to the Amazon show starting. It does not surprise me. Uh, so that makes I sense. I may have partaken myself. Uh, only on notable DC stuff is that Batman Urban Legends is uh, on the first page and... Batman Second Son, digital chapter number seven is also in the first place. As is American Vampire Second, uh, not Second Cycle, whatever it's called now, 1976. <laughs> the current American Vampire book, the new issue. Yeah, that was the last one. Yeah. Uh, so, there you go. Uh, that is your your stuff. Is there anything that's notably missing from DC? Because we read, I read five books, right? Is there anything notably missing? No, I don't think so. That's everything that's major, yeah. I was just just in case there was something that was shockingly not even in the top twenty from DC that feel you know, feel like it should have nothing been. Nothing I can think of. Nah, nah, there was nothing. Uh, so cool. There you go. That's your comicsology. Uh, top ten for the week. 
I know everyone enjoys it, except Matt and Connor, but everyone else enjoys it. So, uh, <laughs> the one news story I have uh, from this week is that we have a couple of Bat Family one-shots coming in July. This is the uh, the Batman Secret Files. Um, and I, I was excited to discover this on Twitter, just mainly because the cover to the Huntress one is absolutely gorgeous. Uh stunning stuff but this is basically a way to give uh, some of the different back characters because it's not the main family this is i mean the two that we've got for july are huntress and signal so that gives you kind of an idea of maybe who we're going to be focusing on here so they're 40 page one shots uh folks are on a bat family and when it comes to a character like huntress we don't necessarily have a ton of context for what she's doing in current continuity so it's not necessarily a bad idea uh and signal with um outsiders not existing uh, at least in the same capacity as it did before. Again, what's his status quo right now? So, it uh, feels like that might be the, the purpose of these things. Uh, so, yeah, where's my creative teams on this? I'm sure they're in this article somewhere. They um, are. So, Batman and the Signal co-writer, uh, Tony Patrick is going solo with the Signal story, uh, with Kristen Deuce, uh on the art. So. Two paragraphs later for the other one. Uh, and then the second one shot, uh, Mariko Tamaki is getting paired with uh, David Lapham. Do we know who that is? Is that an artist we know? Dave Lapham does sound uh, familiar, but I don't know from where. Yeah, yeah I, don't, I don't recognize Not it sure. immediately. I have to admit, Tamaki being on the Huntress one shot is uh, definitely encouraging. He did the Stray Bullets books. Okay, that's why. With Azarello. Yeah. Wait, mm, yeah. no. No, 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 they were just doing, I think. That's right. That well, create your own thing, but there's quite a lot of them. Um, yeah. Fairly well known. Yeah. Uh, so that's something they're going to do for a little bit. Uh, so they're doing two in July, so I'd expect maybe two in August, maybe. Yeah, I don't know how long they're going to keep this going, but I imagine this will be three or four months of some one-shots. In interestingly, it, it does state that they are a monthly series, is the way that DC actually described it. But the first two issues are both in July. Seems a weird choice. I don't know if they're just doubling up on the first month and then after that. Yeah, because you know, it's not like they're, you know, listed as issue one, issue two. You know, they're, they're just both one shots. So yeah, it's it's they've all got the they're all Batman secret files colon. Yeah. So the signal huntress etc. Whatever the rest are. I I suspect yeah maybe it'll be one a month after the first two. I, don't, I mean, the technically, I mean, I think the word ongoing is technically used in this article. I don't know if it's an ongoing book in the way that we typically think of it ongoing. I think it just means, oh, there's a set amount of these planned, but because they don't have to solicit it like a regular series where it's got ongoing, you know, orders, yes. presumably, they don't have to specify anything. So it's just like, oh, they may have seven of these planned. So but we won't know until they stop doing them, basically. Yeah. Yeah. We'll wait and see. Because at the very least, I assume they're going to run out of characters unless they start doing, like, Huntress Issue 2 in, like, six months or something. They might. You never well, know. There's a lot of bad characters. There really is. Especially ones that don't have books. Yeah. I mean, that's fair. I can't argue with that. Um, you so. can do a Tim one. You can do a, a spoiler one. We, you know, we know we've got an announcement coming from Tom Taylor next week. Oh, that was on uh, to do with Tim Drake. This was on Twitter, wasn't it? Yeah, uh, originally it was supposed to be announced yesterday, uh, but DC decided to push it to Wednesday for some reason. We could have had Tom Taylor news to be talking about right now, but instead we're <laughs> talking about this. 
you know, it's, um, it's nice after he's doing such a great job with Dick Grayson that he's going to the inferior Robin and giving him a little bit of a boost. That's really sweet of him. No, really nice. Damien's getting his own book. It's fine. <laughs> Very charitable. He said inferior Robin, and then I said, yeah. Very charitable of Tom Taylor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's, he's giving a boy what he deserves. Uh huh. Yes. And after Jason Todd's even getting quite a good ongoing story right now, uh, <laughs> that's yeah. what Tim deserves a little bit of love. <laughs> so, uh, so was that the other thing? Yeah, that was the second. It wasn't actually. That just oh, okay. I re- remembered that as as we said this. Um, the other thing was the Batman Catwoman special, which I'm assuming you guys talked about last week. P- possibly remind me. <laughs> uh, there, there is a a, a one shot interlude issue of that series coming in July. Hmm. Oh, I don't think we did talk about this actually. This maybe this dropped after oh. the news, or I didn't see it. it. Might have done. I, I don't know when exactly it dropped, but um, basically, yeah, it's just it just as a you know interlude one shot issue. Uh, it will be uh, John Paul Leon uh, on the art. That's what the actual update for today is. Well- Hey, that's good news because I like that artist. And I was, I was just about to suggest. I guess this is just to give uh, man a month uh, break uh-huh. to get oh, cut off. Definitely, yeah. yeah. Uh, that's a good artist, though. If, so, I mean, to, it uh, is. I'm looking if it tells us what it is. Uh, one shot issue uh, traces the life of Selena Kyle from her earliest days to her entry into the criminal underworld, and reveals that Bruce was actually a presence in her life all along. Oh no! I hit that last part. Yes, some great romances are destined to be. <laughs> I hope that last part's overselling it because I, I hate, I hate that, I hate that. But mm-hmm. uh, I don't like that artist. Um, and I, He's very know, good. Yes, and that being a Selena backstory thing is fine, uh, just because it has been a Selena book through and through. This is about her more than it is about Batman. So cool. All right, well, there you go. That was, uh, yeah, that was fairly painless. Risk. Top 10 segment was in there, and we're only hitting 15 minutes. This might even be a short show. It probably won't be, but it could be a short show. Uh, don't tell me what's possible. <laughs> Would you rather I tell you what's not possible? No. No, never tell both, me the odds. Both are equally long lists, and I'd rather we didn't do them. <laughs> Coming up on next week's show, Peter's Top 500 Not Possible uh, Things. I love the, the idea of using not possible instead of saying impossible just to piss people off because I know it's going to upset everyone. In fact, I can see Connor seething behind the eyes right now. I, I, I really don't. I don't give a shit. <laughs> well, it would normally, but he's too tired. But normally that would really upset him. Uh, so, <laughs> there you go. It's probably true. That's, that's basically uh, the, the the news uh, for, for the week. Uh, just to remind everyone, uh, obviously we have episode 250 coming next week. Uh, we're recording the top 50 results. Everyone who voted in the uh, top 50 DC characters, we're recording that uh, the day after we record next week's episode. So that will be up in the day or two after the the next episode goes out. So, yeah, There'll be some time between episode 250 and 251. Well, I just hesitated there because uh, if you're on YouTube or you're interested in watching it on YouTube, it will premiere as a live event, effectively. Uh, and people can chat along with the, the results coming out. But, you know, if you just listen to the audio feed, that's cool. Uh, it'll be up uh, after it airs there, uh, pretty much as soon as it's done. So uh, that is the, the, the plan. So just to remind everyone that's coming. Uh, so there you go. All right, we're talking about books. Good. Get to it. That's what we're here for. 
Well, I say that because, I mean, this is the first time I've made it to books in under 20 minutes in months, probably, at this point. Yeah, let's make the most of it, because we've got solicits next week. We do have solicits next week. And I, I think the only reason why I'm letting this slide and not forcing some nonsense talk before we get to it is because I am here on, like, two and a half hours sleep. So as nice and streamlined as we can make this would be just nice so, for me so this So, Connor, mm-hmm. tell us about Riverdale. Oh, it's the worst. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> it's so bad. It's so, so bad. But it gives me an excuse to have a couple of drinks every evening after yeah. work. And yeah. when you when you get in from work at like two or three a.m., mm-hmm. it's nice just to kick back, have a drink, and watch some god awful TV. Yeah, I even know. It should be say. uploading the next season soon on uh, Netflix. So yeah, I think there's five up there at the minute. Yeah. yeah. So uh, yeah, just there, you yeah. wait till Griffins and Gargoyles, my friend. Look, I've got some drinks to try. Uh, probably try one tonight. I've got some ideas, and uh, gonna have fun with it. <laughs> well, uh, I I don't know what possesses possesses someone to go back and continue Riverdale from. I started again as well. You started again? <laughs> I did. You rewatched we watched, season one? We watched season one as it aired. But I was like, I don't really remember season one. I was like, I'm gonna have to do it properly. Uh, oh, Connor's just like, I went back to the start too. Oh, yeah, it, I'm, I'm using myself in. But it makes no sense anyway. There's no, it doesn't matter. Continuity is irrelevant in that show. Sorry. I oh, no. Uh, the continuity matters. It uh, matters too much, <laughs> you could say. Uh... Carl's very concerned. I think he's having tech issues. It was a random tab started making noises. Basically, it's it's snooker season. The, uh, the World Championship just started oh. today. And I had apparently left the game from earlier, that tab open uh, when it finished, and the next game has just started. So there was the the they do like a like almost like boxing style announcers when they the introductions, you know, where they like bring them out to the arena and stuff, um, and that just happened very loudly in my ear without <laughs> I was not expecting it. I I really hope that they have intro music, you know. Intro music. I oh, really hope they should come out. I hope they came out in a you know the what should we call them. The, the boxing, the cloak, uh, the robe, <laughs> the robe, or the flags, robe. Yes, whatever the robe. they want to use. Yes, I was, I was imagining snooker players coming out with that on with the hood up, like you know. No, it's 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 Ronnie O'Sullivan. So all I heard was uh, Oasis just blasting into my ear. Don't look back in anger. I heard you say. <laughs> I don't think that's a song. I don't know if that's the song he uses, but... I don't think it is. I can't remember. It was only like a five-second snippet. I don't yeah. think it was either. I bet it's one of the famous ones that people know, though. Oh, it is, yeah. No question. No. I, I fell in love with the Mighty Ducks TV show. I'm up to date on that now. We, we watched the first episode for review at the start of the week, <laughs> and uh, episode four came out yesterday, and I watched it. It was... <laughs> I'm waiting for it to all drop. It is... I'll... I still understand the appeal, even if it's if it's not for me. But I, I get it. It's it's well made, and Matt will love it. Yeah, Matt. Mm-hmm. See that the first five seconds when you hear the little the theme like sort of come mm-hmm. in and the soundtrack, you're going to feel a little flutter, and you're going to be into it. You act like I don't watch the Mighty Ducks movies every year. <laughs> well, that's why I'm telling you. You're going to feel yeah. things. You're going to yeah, be Matt, like, hey. Matt's going to love it. Yeah. yeah, all this hockey talk, slap shots, and. Yeah. All sorts. 
deeks and toe drags and Pete's learning the lingo so he can understand what me and Matt start talking about. Knights are on a tear. Yeah, got my my Mark Stone shirt finally. So Oh nice. Yeah. Yep, yep. Now real hockey's boring. But baby dogs is great. So Books. Yes, books. Yeah, bit by my own snake there. Yeah, that's what's your fault, Matt. I was ready to wear the books and you were like, Riverdale. Well, just that I wanted to see you die a little bit inside, <laughs> you know. Do you know what? Yes, but here's the thing, Matt. When you try to do that to troll me, my response to that is to make it last forever because then it trolls you. He's <laughs> not wrong. It's a vicious cycle. All right, let's talk about DC comic books. Batman, the detective, issue one. Tom Taylor writing with Andy Kubert on the art. Or Kubert. Uh, does he like a Kubert or a Kubert? What does he prefer? I've always heard Kubert. That's what I tend to lean towards, but I don't know if it's mm. correct. Mm. I'm going to call him Kubert, just to be different. <laughs> Stupid. <laughs> I love the idea of going up to celebrities and pronouncing their name in an intentional way that no one has ever said before, just to yeah. see their reaction. It's almost like a complex soul. It's like, I know who you are, but I don't know how to say your name. Yes. Uh, hello, Stefan Spalberg. How are you? <laughs> yeah, I don't, you just I call give, him Stefan Spielberg. Of, give him a bit of an ego check. I'm like, not everyone knows you. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I know you. You're Stanley Kubrick, right? Uh, <laughs> uh, that All explains right. AI. <laughs> I don't even mean that to have a connection. I was just picking yeah, around the dead director. Um, so, anyways, the detective, Batman, uh, detective. Yes. Uh, so, Tom Taylor number ones or something of an event on this show. Uh, as as we know, in fact, here's, here's the sound bite for you people who want to hear it. Tom Taylor. Everyone enjoys the sound bite. So uh, I just noticed in in. In the audio mixer that, that me and Matt can see, but the audience can't, yes. Pete has yeah. software. He has that soundbite labeled Tom King. I, I was intentional. I was, I was... Yeah, no, I know yeah. it was, but I did, I've never <laughs> seen it before. I've never looked. I just happened to notice it this time. <laughs> just thought the audience deserved to know that that, that was the case. Oh... Uh. Uh, so yeah, Tom Taylor and Number Ones are uh, a bit of an event. Uh, he recently broke us all down to tears uh, at the Nightwing issue one a mere few weeks mm-hmm. ago, and uh, we have him doing a Batman miniseries where Batman is mainly going to be spending time in the UK, seemingly, uh, or at least Europe, uh, if not specifically yeah. the UK. Issue uh, one definitely is though, and uh, I guess I'll get the most negative thing I'm going to say about this out of the way. It's probably on the lower end of Tom Taylor Number Ones. I don't know. If I, uh, I agree, agree with that. that. Yeah, it's, I, uh, it's still good, but it's, it's still not mind blowing like some yeah. of his other stuff is. Yeah, you know, compared to like obviously Nightwing, but even like Suicide Squad number one, I thought was a more exciting number one where I was like, oh, who had all these new characters? This is really well told and yeah, fun. It, and... it almost seems like it's kind of lacking some of the heart. It's very Frank Miller esque. Yeah, but it's almost by design. Like, it's mm. it's definitely a Batman I don't enjoy. Like the the inner monologues of Batman. I think you know because the point uh, kind of Batman's is not in a great place right now, right? That's kind of like because this is very much in continuity. Oh yeah, um, yeah. This kind of takes place. It's uh, it's, it's obviously after Alfred's death. 
but it's just before he's moved out of the the manor and into yeah the I, I, I was going to suggest this is before detective comics currently because mm-hmm. I, I presume he you know he comes back and then moves into that new apartment that's my assumption as well yeah. um and he's not in a great place right now uh so i'm thinking he'll probably be in a better place by the end of this book I don't know if I... St- I mean, I, I get the Frank Miller comparison when you bring it up. I, I think my general thinking, though, was that the, the inner monologue felt very 90s, just in general. I got, like, a very 90s Batman. I mean, I think, in general, that's still the, the Miller hangover. It probably it is. is. that 90s yeah. Batman. Uh, so the, the, the plot here, we start with a, a plane from, from Gotham to London, which is basically the victim of a terrorist attack. There's a, a woman who puts on, like, a white Batman kill, and... Uh, you know, dives out the plane, the thing blows up. Uh, there is a survivor though. It just so happens that uh, Knight is on there. Um, I'm glad it said AKA Knight because I would never have known Beryl yeah, Hutchinson's well, name. <laughs> Beryl, the only time I've ever heard the name Beryl is when it's the Knight, former Squire. Yes. Yes. Well, honestly, probably true for me as well. I, I've never yeah. known a Beryl. No. No. It's like someone wanted to call a kid Cheryl, but made a mistake when they were writing the the name in. <laughs> <laughs> they had a bug on their pen and they're trying to <laughs> it's like it's like it's almost like someone who wasn't filling out the, the birth certificate themselves and someone then someone was filling it out for them said uh what name do you want cheryl what's that barrel you said barrel okay barrel is <laughs> and then they get home and look um, at it and go shit <laughs> Oh, well. with it now it what should, are you gonna do yeah I'd change it should it. be noted that the only reason barrel survived is because she's the knight and Trying to stop these, you know. Yeah, yeah. Trying to follow the people. She, she um, like dives out after the terrorist who's yeah. you know, got a parachute or whatever. Uh, right. And uh, I mean, she's obviously badly beaten. She ends up in the yeah. hospital. Um, you know, Bruce. Uh, even the arts a little bit. Then he's actually like, that first page of Bruce that he's back oh, computer. Huge. Yeah, those arms. His hands. His I, hands. I, I'm not a big fan of Kubert's art style in this. Um, I, I, if I'm looking at it as a miller-esque throwback inter- mm-hmm. intentionally yeah i like it a lot more i i will say yeah there's an interesting thing for me because i actually think the uh i think the the general flow of the panels and the the layouts are really good and i like mm-hmm. how, how it feels as a story but i would sort of agree that i'm not necessarily in love with the actual choices of line work if that makes sense yeah the proportions are kind of off it's just like i don't know I, I now that Connor points it out that it's Miller esque, it, it clicks. Yeah, you know. So the, the one panel I really dislike is the second page after we see Bruce. That, so you got that that big full page of him, uh-huh. you know, the, with the hands, and the second page when you see it from behind at the bottom, he's like walking off across the bottom, <laughs> and he looks like tiny, like he, he looks like stumpy. Is the he, word I'd use. He also looks like he's walking through clear something. It looks like he's like. Pulling his feet through the ground. Yeah, it's like really. It, it's. Like, I think it's supposed to be just his shadow, but it looks like he's like sludged yeah. through. Yeah. Uh, I feel bad nitpicking at that, but <laughs> you know. No, it, it is. Like, I mean, that's probably the the one part of the art I dislike. I think is the rest of it. I can see is stylistic choices, and I'm like, okay, no, I I can see what it's going for and appreciate that, and even the line work of it. That one yeah, panel, I, I think is. I think this is well this is clearly a talented artist who's trying to achieve something and is doing it pretty well. It's just that from a taste perspective, yeah, I'm not in love with it, but you know, I, I don't think it's bad art by any means. Like I, you know, um, 
Yeah, we have the, the... the title page too. It, oh, yeah. it was bringing me back to um, the Return of Bruce Wayne stuff because this feels mm-hmm. like a cover. This feels like when Bruce Wayne comes home. Yeah. I mean, even it Nathan... was working on Batman a lot around that point, right? Yeah, yeah. And even Nathan Squire, like I, you know, you, mm-hmm. like I associate that mainly with the Grant Morrison's like time on Batman. Yeah. So yeah, uh, it even makes sense in this issue to kind of harken back to that. Uh, so the new Squire shows up, who, as far as I know, is a new character. I, no, I, yeah, yeah, I think so because we've had Beryl as Knight before, but I don't remember the Squire. No, this is new. Um, I only know it was new because there was an article about this a couple of weeks ago when they released the cover for issue three. So just before those solicits hit, kind of being like, "Here's your first look at the new Squire." Um, so definitely new. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the plot goes into an interesting direction because Batman's at the crime scene of where this plane went down. Um, and, you know, obviously he comes to investigate this because, you know, this was clearly tied to him in some way. Someone made a point of tying it to the idea of Batman. And the squire shows up at the crime scene and they're looking at things. Uh, Batman apparently has called in some favors to MI6 and various other authorities to like clear the area so he can t- mm-hmm. have it to himself. Uh, and there's like a weird like uh, the, the, like spectre, a ghost. Uh, I, well, I, I didn't mean a spectre, not the spectre, just for, to make that clear for everyone at home. It, <laughs> it, it's Gentleman Ghost, but he looks like the Predator. <laughs> it does a bit now that you mention it, in the mouth. There's a, there's a like, lot about that, yeah. So, you know, Bruce putting on the gloves and stuff, that's a, a good moment. And then you just turn around, like, what is this creature? Um, and just, like, it's Gentleman Ghost, and he's, like, he's changed. And I'm like, is this supposed to be part of the mystery, or...? I think that's just a stylistic update, to be honest. Mm. <sighs> yeah, I don't I don't know if I like it. I, I definitely, you know, Gentleman Ghost, the whole idea of the top hat and the big cowl. You know, behind him with the monocle. I'm assuming like, the idea well, here is because it's such a intense thing that he's here to feed on. That yeah, that, it, that's that's like what I'm thinking. A little bit because he even mentions mm. that this is like such a potent ground because so many people died here. That mm. yeah, in, in in terror as well, not just died. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, people tend to be a little scared when they're in a plane plummeting to the ground. Uh, typically. Generally speaking, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Batman goes to, you know, see Knight in the hospital. A, you know, there's a bit of uh, back and forth. I, I did like the sort of thing where Squire kind of told Batman to, like, you know, maybe ask how she is first. Or, you know, and then, you know, in the scene, she, he actually does say, are you okay? And then points out that that was, uh, <laughs> that was Squire that made him say that, effectively. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Uh, and he's like, I punched a ghost because she's like, "Hey, what did you? What? How did you do? How did you impress her? What did you? What did you do to like?" It's like I don't know what you're on about. Yeah. Uh. So it's just so this, So this team of the the white Batman, I suppose, uh, show up. Um, one of whom is clearly meta esque because he's huge and sort of, mm-hmm. I'd say, Grundy size, perhaps, uh, for lack of a better yeah. term. Very Grundy esque too, just in the, you know, um. Temper, I guess mm. you'd say. Mm. Uh, yeah, but yeah. One appears to be the woman from the play, and then there's two guys there as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they show up. 
uh, at the hospital, and uh, Batman, you know, obviously tries to intervene. Uh, they go filling out the window. There's a lot of action. Uh, they're firing guns at him, all that stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, it basically ends with just you know the the revelation of what, what this plane was and who was on it. Because uh, there's a lot of Batman's monologue in the issue talking about you know has he actually accomplished anything good because he's he's in a dark place because Alfred's dead. Has he actually done anything for anyone outside of maybe, like, say, the Robins, who he's specifically saved from from certain, you know, paths of their lives? And then the Batgirls, perhaps. Like, how many lives has he actually affected? So the dark sort of ending to this is the realization that everyone on this plane, how, how this group managed this exactly, uh, is, is maybe something open for uh, questioning that maybe they'll answer in future issues. But everyone on this plane was someone that Batman has saved at some point in his career, uh, which is a really dark. Uh, I would say it thing. is intentional, like, you know, he, he mentions that, no, this is in, very intentionally been, you know, organized and it was difficult to do. Like, engineered, I think, was the word he used. Yeah. Well, yeah. So, I think part of the mystery will be who has this pull, who can pull this up. Not, not that I didn't trust Taylor to adhere to his own title, but, it, it, you know, it's called Detective, so I'm glad that there is a sort of mystery detective story to actually I think that's especially fair, given that the title was changed as well. Yeah. So, you don't know if the, if it had always planned to be like that or if it was just a here's an extra you know, well, you know, now, now it's a detective story because they changed the title. Um, the well, I, 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 don't, I was going to say, I don't think they changed the story though to adhere to the new no, title. No, I don't either. Yeah. I was going to say, that mean it's like, there was no guarantee it was a detective story because it had a different title before and they might have just used that title just because. Yeah. What are you saying, Matt? I was going to say, the, the further the book went along, the more it was reminding me of Morrison's run, which is, I, I really enjoy up, up to a point, you know? Up mm-hmm. to when he gets to kind of like the return of Bruce Wayne. He's a little bit wonky. Um, and then the ink stuff, I never really finished. But just the, you know, the, the fact that Batman kind of has a network of fellow heroes like him um, is something that I've always kind of liked, like the whole club of heroes. Yeah. You know? It's nice to so, see so Night and Squire as well. I was enjoying Yeah, see Night and Squire. And if he's going across Europe, maybe we're gonna to get to see some of the other ones, you know, pop up. You no, know, right. to to lend an assist and because uh, you gotta think that if this group's about like you know, balance and clearing the ledger, right? Trying to take out the people that, that, that Batman saved, then that's gonna draw in the, the other people that Batman has inspired. So, so does it have a ripple effect of will they then target the people that the, the people well, he inspired saved? Right. Because if he's inspiring them, you know, like, yeah, what, he, you know, he's become that image, that, that symbol, right? So, um, so yeah, but at the beginning, I was kind of like, this is kind of wonky. doesn't feel like Taylor. It's kind of lacking that heart that I've come to expect from all the stuff that I've read from him. Like even Deceased weirdly had, had a, a heart. A ton, for a horror had, zombie story. It had tons of heart yeah. that book. Mm. Yeah, like you wouldn't think that in a, like a zombie heart, like a, you know what I mean? I um, think what's so funny is that if they just sold us from the start that this is going to be kind of a throwback to a couple of different things, and the whole point of it was that it wants to feel like this, and this wouldn't be a surprise. But I think we all come in here expecting just a you know a through and through Tom Taylor book, and he's kind of doing this emulation of a couple of different things. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think it's fairly succeeding at that so far, and I'm down to 
you know, see where this goes. But it's, it's definitely not exactly like the peak Tom Taylor that I, I look forward to in all his other books. That's fair. I'm, I'm enjoying it, though. Like, as you say, it's like a Frank Miller meets Grant Morrison kind of mm-hmm. greatest hits, almost. Oh, and me and Matt will be talking about Frank Miller later, don't you worry. Uh, Weir- weirdly. Yeah. <laughs> what the hell is going on in the, Russia? The weirdest uh, twist. Yeah, just wait. The weirdest revelation I have ever had the comic book made up in Russia. I guess you said. Yeah, I was. A, I almost went on to Twitter, uh, and was like, uh, "Rorschach Seven was a doozy." <laughs> um. Okay. But yeah. But my Bound Detective is a. Yeah, I I think it's one of those things where I'm so used to coming out Tom Taylor books and like almost expecting like an 8.5 at least and yeah not being surprised when i go higher than that and i came into this and i was like yeah this is this is reading well you know it's flowing nice and smoothly i got to the end of the book quite quickly but it didn't necessarily feel like a lot of his other stuff and i'm happy for him experiment and maybe this is why it's like just a mini because it's like oh this is just like a, a fun little throwback I, kind of thing I, i'm okay with this because i'm enjoying it i, I like it a lot I think maybe more than you two do, by the sounds of it, a little bit. Um, but also the fact that we've got other Taylor books ongoing right now, and we've got more mm-hmm. to be announced for sure. It's like, yeah, I can live with just a random side six issue throwback. You know, while I've still, I've, I've still got Nightwing at the same time. I'm I think what this says to me is that the regular Batman that Tom Taylor has in him is still there. So the the run that we may get potentially one day on Batman or Detective or whatever it may end up in, uh, this isn't encroaching on that. This isn't... Uh, you think he's saving all his good stuff uh, for the big leagues? I don't, I don't want to say good stuff, but I feel like this is a very focused thing and idea. Whereas, you know, based on, so, say, that one shot that he did, was it the annual or the... Whatever that the Alfred story was in. It was an annual, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Based on that kind of thing, I'm like, he's got a run in him somewhere. Like, somewhere mm-hmm. down the lane, that guy's going to be on Batman or Detective, and it's going to be a magical experience. But, uh, and I think little glimmers of that shine through here, just, you know, the way he talks about his two fathers in this issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like, okay, it's still like that, that, that Tom Taylor DNA is still kind of etched in there underneath the homages. Yeah, I don't think he'd hate it completely. Uh, it, but this does feel very separate and a very focused, like, there's a very particular goal for this, I think. And, yeah. yeah. That would be I a do, big I deal. I do like that it's continuity, though, rather than just being, like, this completely separate, irrelevant thing. Yeah, yeah. And I'm sure, I'm sure they've made it fit, and so, you know, as best they can with uh, what's mm-hmm. going on. Mm-hmm. But maybe it'll even end with him going to get his uh, new apartment or something. It's, just, it's like a one-panel thing to sort of just really slot it into the timeline neatly. Uh, but cool. All right, all right, Matt, what are you giving Batman the Detective a Sean? I'm going to give this a 7. Sure? I'm going to give it the 8, just about. Yeah, I'm going to go with Matt. I'll go with the 7 here. Uh, good, but uh, not blown away. Uh, which, for mm-hmm. for a Tom Taylor book, is almost disappointing <laughs> to not be blown away, but uh, it is what it is. All right. Superman, issue 30, Philip K. Johnson and Scott Goodluski on the, the main story, of course. Uh, we'll get to the backup in a bit. Um, so this effectively was kind of a, a fresh start again in a way. Obviously, thematically, it's still relevant what happened in the last issue, but because they did that little two-parter between the two books, this this month's the first, you know, first issue of the Superman arc, first issue of the action arc. Uh, we'll get to that later in the month, obviously. 
so curious to see what this arc was going to be and what it is. Um, and interesting some ideas in here. Uh, at least I'm assuming this is all new stuff. I don't know if this is actually calling back to some old story. I don't think it is, but I mean, if people tell me it is, I'll uh, I'll listen to you. I suppose. Yeah, it, it feels new though, because this feels yeah. from what I've I've heard about uh, uh, Johnson and his you know his fantasy stuff. This is kind of very much laying fantasy over uh, space stuff, you know, alien. Given the and... the whole King Arthur issue, it shouldn't be too surprising. Yeah. No. Yes, yes, by far his worst issue of anything Superman so far. Yes, uh... that's uh, that's patently not true, but okay. <laughs> he has not had a bad, a bad. So if you're talking about yeah, it's like a nine when the rest are tens, then sure. But you know, they've all been good. Matt Scales just broken. Just this is the broken. It, it is because it's it's pointless, you know. Yes. Uh, so Superman is in deep, deep trouble. The first page, and he's basically saying, and he's narration. He's like, you know, I, I, I'm leaving this journal for for Lois and John to read, uh, and he describes that you know the, the start of the story that led him here. Uh, and we never come back to like him present day as he's like thinking this in this issue. So that's that's something to come uh, later on. And yeah, you know, we get a happy kind of moment between uh, Clark, Lois, and and John. They're playing mini golf, and Lois is complaining that they're both too good. Uh, which I also kind of just read is she's not very good at it, and <laughs> is looking for excuses. Um, but yeah, it's all this. But Clark hears like a message, like a voice that's being broadcast through space, and he's very concerned. And John flies off with him. And there's a couple of nice moments here, you know, like Clark and his narration saying, you know, I, I held, you know, we can't talk in space because it's a vacuum, so I just kind of held back so I could watch John fly in front of me, uh, and just sort of, you know, bask in the glory of my, my baby boy, and just mm -hmm. how, you know, super he is. It, I do love that Johnson's taking time to give the, you know, parent aspect of Clark, which is something that we did miss out on with Bendis, mm -hmm. you know, so. You know, not even the the parental, but more of the family aspect too, uh, which is nice. Was that in part because he immediately, or relatively immediately, kind of mm -hmm. separated John, so that there wasn't any room to explore that stuff? Yeah, and and even the Lois and Clark stuff was, you know, them teaming up because Leviathan. You know, there wasn't any mm. of these small quiet moments with them. Really, the only one I can really think of was was right after everything, right? Uh, or it was the issue where um, they talk about the, the the girl that creates the music, and Clark can always hear it. Uh, you know, there was that. that there was de there was definitely other stuff. Admittedly, a couple yeah. of the moments I'm thinking of may have been from the Lois Lane book, but that was so ingrained in everything that was going on that yeah, it didn't feel like that's... it was it didn't feel like it was missing overall in Superman because at least one of the books was having moments like that. Right, but I'm talking in the pages of Superman itself. You know, like Bendis clearly had a story he was going through, like this big, you know, sprawling thing. Whereas I feel like Johnson's just taking time that these might even be smaller stories. Like, I don't see this being like a six issue arc. I don't know. I could be wrong, you know, but um, it just feels 15 issues later. Like we're still on this arc and Matt I'm, was wrong. I'm, all I along. was feeling the, <laughs> uh, the, uh, the SpongeBob gift. <laughs> Four hours later. Yes. <laughs> I don't actually know that gift, but I got I got the context. Yeah. <laughs> you need to help your gift game. Uh, apparently, um, what I heard was Ron Howard going, "It wasn't." 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's what I get from that moment. Just, uh, they're about the same. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, they go to this planet, uh, where Superman was once upon a time, uh, Th- Thakram, and talks about how him and two of the, the native uh, aliens here, they defeated this, essentially, this this giant dead alien fell out of the sky, but it had this like parasite in it that it kind of operated like a black hole almost, it was absorbing things, and they they worked together to to defeat it. And tells a story how of one was the, the, the leader of the, the people, or at least became the leader after they helped mm-hmm. stop all this. And then the other alien was like the, the inventor, the genius, who kind of came up with the device that, that sort of helped tackle the thing. Uh, and forgive me if I'm not remembering names here, because it's all new alien. Yeah, yeah we have Quarath Odanum. That's the, that was then, the leader, uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and then Falder Pornum. Pornum. And that's the inventor slash scientist. Yeah. Uh, it's very John Carter of Mars, which I 100% appreciate. Um, not that I'm well-versed in that, you know, but just the idea of Superman going to this alien planet where there's this whole civilization, and he helps them. He doesn't become their sole, like, guardian in the way, like, Adam Strange did with mm. uh, Ran, but he teamed up with, with the locals to help take out this beast and it just it gives it a very like old school sci-fi you know kind of vibe to the story you know whoever does an adam strange story and actually really call it adam strange of ran just for the yeah. reference that you made me think of there i'm surprised that hasn't been done already to be honest yeah mm-hmm. uh so basically the aliens here first they're a bit hostile but then like you know the old one comes out and sort of understands who superman is it's falder uh, yeah um they Say no, nah, we didn't send any message. No, there's nothing. Uh, the fact the the, per- the alien you said sent you a message is dead. So <laughs> this yeah. is bit of a bit well, of a mystery going on. This is a bit yeah. odd, very bit odd. Um, and they they agree to leave, but Superman's actually still very suspicious. Uh, because some something came from somewhere. So he at least wants to go check mm-hmm. the uh, the corpse of the big alien to make sure it didn't leave. It's still in the the place they left it, uh, disposed of it, and it's still there. But they find like some. Like the communicator that sent the message is there. Um, it's very suspicious. And I actually, until I read the rest of the issue, I thought what it was setting up here is that this alien planet wanted to trap Superman and this was all a trap to lure him in. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then it kind of reveals a bit more to this where this parasite or the dead alien has taken over one of the aliens, or maybe he's taken over multiple of the aliens and is spreading mm-hmm. between them, uh, a body snatcher style. Because we see like the old alien be attacked, and sort of the final page is kind of the black shadowy or goo or whatever it is coming from the eye. And uh, I think it's spreading because it's in both of them at the end. That's for, yeah. that's for a point. Uh, but no, but you're right that it's very much body snatchers because Clark is kind of like Falder, like he's a little bit off, but you know that comes with age. You know, like I haven't seen them in a very long time. Maybe you know people change. whatever. So. Yeah, from from that point, he's he feels something's off, and then he even says because of their language, you know, different things have different meanings, and you have to really look into the context, you know. So that that sets up at the end that where he said it's not the end, uh, Quarathodanum. What he actually meant was it's not dead. So like the the job wasn't done, but Clark left. So who knows how long this has been, you know, rotting in uh this this planet in Thakram. Yeah, it's super interesting. Yep. 
I think it's a, it's, a, it's a real nice little mystery, kind of wrapped up in, mm-hmm. I say, these these older sci-fi or fantasy-esque kind of mm-hmm. setting. Yeah. Um, kind of, it, it's, it's got an interesting kind of light tone to it, while still yeah. kind of tackling, you know, relatively mm-hmm. serious it, subject. You know, like, parts that stood out to me is like when Falder, he kind of, not that he talks down to, to Superman, but at one point he refers to him as my weakling little brother, <laughs> you know? And Which plays in again, because like um, Clark tells John they have kind of weird assumptions about family. Like they're, they're, their family yeah. are more rivalries than anything. Yeah, yeah. I like just assumptions, but just like the, the way they feel for each other. They don't feel like affection and love and tenderness and pride. They, they feel, yeah. I mean, it doesn't quite say hostility, but like the idea is everything's a no, competition. Everything's. Yeah, how, how can he help me get what I need? Yeah. You know? So, so. So then when you see that, like, and he's calling him his weakling little brother, you're like, oh, okay, this guy's a little bit different. And then at the end, you're like, oh, that, that's why he's a little bit different, because <laughs> uh, yeah. he, he's a host of some kind. There's a, there's a part where the dead king, I'm going to call him king, king's son, yeah. is talking, and he mentions uh, you know, his father's old servants. Mm-hmm. And... John tries to question it, but Clark just brushes yeah. straight over it. And again, I think that's one of those linguistic things where servant doesn't necessarily in this context mean you know, like, oh, you know, bordering on like, you know, slave here, but paid. I don't think it's like that. I think it's more right. s- more akin to subject, perhaps. Yeah, it was because when they interested yeah. the concept, you know, when they first when they first get to the planet and Clark mentions the language thing where they've got the translators, but there's a lot of words have multiple meanings, so it's kinda you know, right. you have to gauge what, what they're saying. As like, okay, this seems like an interesting way of making me think about what they're saying every time they say something, because now I have to question yeah. exactly what it means and is there a second meaning right. I can ascertain from the sentence they've given. Um and I think admittedly the the little sleep I had in the last day when I read this meant I probably wasn't at the top of my game for deciphering yeah. codes in the, in the text. So I just let Superman explain it to me as they came up. But um, it's a fun idea that maybe they'll, they'll make use of throughout this arc, uh, where they'll maybe say something clear as day to us, but we won't notice it at first. Or maybe it's something we have to figure out because mm. it's, it's it's phrased in a intentionally, you know, misleading way. But they've set up the rules here that a lot of words just flat out mean multiple things. Um, but not in a super devious way either because you know like the example no. at the end where this is not the end it's not dead you can see how dead and end or you can right. see why they're related words it doesn't seem super it's not like dead mm-hmm. also means sausage <laughs> like you right. know, there's a linguistic right. route that you yeah. can kind of follow logically even if it's not mm-hmm. immediately clear yeah so it's, it's not complete nonsense uh, which right. makes it a bit fulfilling so if they hold true to that that could be kind of fun um, I really saw. I think I think the one thing for me is that it is kind of light in tone, bizarrely, which is a little bit weird given that the opening page is, oh, this might be the last time I ever leave Earth, or you know, John, this like opening page is is making me even more feel like, you know, like I was saying how before with this first half or two, it feels like maybe this is where Clark kind of you know passes the mantle on to John for a little while. Mm. And it's like I'm, I'm still getting that feeling here. Like you know, the, yeah. this this feels like the final entries before we go off to you know maybe we do actually do do the uh, the war world stuff that we saw in Future State, kind of lead to that a bit more directly. I don't know, but it definitely feels like it's heading in that direction still. 
Yeah, uh, it also kind of feels a little bit of a pulpy adventure. I mean, not that there's, there's not some serious themes in here to play with, but uh, it does feel a bit lighter and pulpier, and I wonder if the, the, the intention of that as well is to give us an arc or two like that before it gets to the more serious, long-form stuff. You know, the idea is, like, here's an example of my Superman working with John in a sort of traditional fun story, and then we're going to move into, oh, the thing that breaks him and, you like... Set the baseline first. Yeah. Uh, between this and action, you know, because I imagine, you know, if, if he's doing stuff with John in this book, I imagine action is going to be without John and do other things. Yeah, we know action, the first arc that starts in uh, a week or two, whenever that book is, is uh, War World Rising. So yeah. it is leading pretty directly towards that stuff. Uh, so I'm, I'm interested. Yeah, no, it's, it's neat. Uh, pretty solid, though. Uh, art is, is also very good i think yeah i like godlewski there, there's some parts of it where it looks a little bit like i don't want to say rushed but it, it's not quite you know crisp as, as i've seen him in other books but it's still good i, I think, I think he's a very good superman artist yeah he, he still works for superman i, I agree with that I, I think the uh the two-page uh, it's not really quite a spread i mean there's a sort of spread in the background then panels at the bottom in front of it but uh, where they show the dead, like, celestial alien or whatever it is, or the big giant space bug uh, in the cave. Mm -hmm. I, I, I thought that looked quite nice. It, it kind of sold the scale of it really well. Uh, the the colours as well, like, that point there, there's the bit where they're telling the story of what happened. They really kind of give it an extra presence, you know, the, the reds and the oranges. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure who the yeah. colorist was. I'm just looking. Uh, Gabe Eltabe? Uh I think it's done a really great job. Yeah. Uh, so that is the main story in Superman. Matt, what are you giving the main story? Uh, I'm going to give this an 8. Yeah, yeah. I usually go to Connor. I don't know why I'm suffering over mine. Yeah, first. I mean, I, I Connor. Mind, you mind if you want. Yeah, I only go Connor. You, yeah, you... It's an eight. There you go, carry on. <laughs> um... Yeah, I'm pretty much on the eight as well. Like, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm tempted to go to seven point five, but it's in that kind of range there. Now let's see if the backup though can solidify, uh, that that number because we we're continuing, um, the tale. So it's not Bebo focused this time. So, so it's we're following the villains and the the hunt for the villains, but we've shifted to a meeting that Jimmy's having with various sort of C list and D list heroes in, in Metropolis, uh, mainly Ambush Bug is the one that we're going to focus on in this particular issue, this backup story. Um, um, so we're looking I at... I don't oh. like Ambush Bug. I just don't. You don't like Ambush Bug? Okay. Why not? No, I just, I feel like it's a second-rate Deadpool thing. And I don't know <laughs> who who was first or... I guess, I guess you know, Matt I'm didn't sure. vote for the Ambush Bug book then. Uh, no, in the I, tournament. I I... No. Did you I, cover who, I... who was on all those teams last week? Mm-mm. No, because I didn't think they announced the teams. They did for the ones who won for that first round. So the, oh, the next day no. they announced no. the teams. No, we didn't see see that. God damn it! I'll be honest. I thought we only talked about the tournament last week, but then no, because I was here mm -hmm. for that. You were here for that, yeah. Yeah. Oh well, I, you know I, what? I was the week I wasn't here because I was doing my floor. Um. Uh, yeah. So go ahead, look those up, Connor, and I can just I just like I. I think the reason why ambush bug. No, no, I've read a ton of ambush bug. Admittedly, right? This is yeah. I'm, I'm, uh, relatively. Uh, novice on on the character, but um, I think the reason why I can get into Ambush Bug a bit more than Deadpool is because 
he comes across because Deadpool has this kind of like snide I think I'm the most hilarious thing ever thing going right Ambush Bug to me comes across as a red shirt who knows he's a red shirt and stumbles his way through things there's, there's kind of like a a charming like buff- stupidity to it yeah uh, and combine that, maybe it's because he looks a little bit like it, but I get like a, almost like a, I imagine like Abe Sapien from Hellboy, <laughs> but like goofy, <laughs> in terms of the way he's acting. No, <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know. I just like this. I know they're they're rotating people from Metropolis. I just the way the story was told to me, it was like super like the the flow just wasn't there. And I just don't know it's because I just don't like Ambush Bug, but a lot of the stuff, like the comedy, just didn't work for me. Like, I feel in the hands of another, like, because like, as I just look up who created Ambush Bug, and it was, you know, Keith Geffen was one of the creators. I think in the hands of, like, Geffen and and uh, then, like, the, I can't believe it's not the Justice League type people, I think it works a little bit better. Uh, and I, I've liked Sean Lewis so far in Metropolis. This one just... It didn't. I, I'm going to be honest here. It sounds like Matt's just upset that it's not a Bibble Part Two story. He's he's, he's no, disappointed. Cause <laughs> no, because it could have been Guardian. It could have been. I just I don't. I'm not a fan of Ambush Bug. Like any time. I think really the only time I've enjoyed Ambush Bug was in Flashpoint, when he popped up in one of the books and was like completely self aware how messed up everything was. Um. So. Well. Yeah. Anywho, the, the villains that we're, we're following here are Deadstream, who's the water, you know, based one, mm-hmm. and then Projectress, who I don't know if we ever got that name for her last time, but it makes sense given what she could do. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not a stretch. Uh, basically, <laughs> Deadstream is in Ambushbug's coffee at this meeting, and Ambushbug starts freaking out because he's like saying man and throat, man and throat, which I thought was kind of amusing to be honest. Uh, and everyone else is like, oh my god, this is why we don't invite Ambushbug. We took him off the the, the the texting group. Come on. You're not wrong. Yeah. Uh, so Ambushbug teleports to a desert planet where there's no water, which completely takes care of Deadstream because he's got no power where there's no water. Um, and he demands to know where Projector says, uh, and then he teleports uh, back. However, Projectress, of course, as, as Ambushbug was born at the start of the story, uh, she can make people see their, their fantasies, right? Obviously, in Bibble's case, it was, uh, you know, the, the beautiful woman and all that rest of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so Ambushbug comes back to, like, this the city, and it's this Metropolis version of Times Square, but, like, Ambushbug's, like, on every screen. He's, like, a movie star. Tons of, you know, lady versions of Ambushbug species, whatever that species is. Bug. Just Bug? Just, uh, I think that. so. Yeah. Uh, and he acknowledges in his narration that he's got a bit of an ego, but he like sort of buys into it immediately because this is great. Uh, but then he sort of snaps out of it with that. Uh, at, at least I mean. I'm interesting enough to have a fatal flaw. <laughs> I don't know. I had fun with it. Like, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying this is the best thing ever, mm-hmm. but as a little like what ten page thing, I thought it was fun. I like ambush bug, yeah. especially in small doses like this. Yeah, because uh, okay, these these villains want Superman, and they actually carve into Ambushbug's back. You know, so uh, Projectress carves into his back. Uh, time to call the Kryptonian. Uh, so it ends kind of with this kind of thing. So, uh, and it looks like we're getting Gangbuster and Loose Cannon. 
next mm-hmm. next part. Um, I enjoyed this well enough. Uh, for me, this was probably a bit on par with the Bibble one last issue. Uh, like I, I was kind of into a bit equals. I, I enjoyed it slightly more. There you go. Mm. So, just 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 Matt then. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> what are you rating the backup, Matt? I'll give us a six. Carter. I'm just gonna give it an eight again. Yeah, I'm kind of in a sale place with the main story. We're in the, it's just probably just about an eight. So, surprising no one. Full full rating for the book for me is an eight. Carter's an eight. Because, mm-hmm. and you can try and shock us, I suppose, but if you try and twist and turn it after you give both stories an eight, then it's anything but an eight. Well, maybe, um, maybe it's more than the sum of its parts. It's an 8.5. It's not, but it could have been. I, I, went on I mean, hush. I'm still going to give it an eight because, you know. I really enjoyed that uh, Superman story, so, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, and luckily the ambush book story was there to, like, drag it up into a decent score. Sure. All right, I'm just trying to poke Matt, and he's having none of it, apparently. He's not. None of it. None of it, okay. That's fine. Um, do you want to have a little interlude between books where I give you yeah. the teams for, for those top eight books in the voting? I'll leave it to the end. I thought a little interlude might be fun. I, I, just for timestamp reasons, I, I would prefer it to be after all the books and the uh, the other sections, okay? That's all. You could timestamp News Part 2. I'm not timestamping News Part 2. I'm not going to look for it. It's not happening. You have to look for the next book anyway. I look for the next book. Don't question my <laughs> methods, okay? If it goes here, the only people who are going to hear it are the ones who specifically read Superman and care about the backup. <laughs> no one else will see it or hear it. So, quiet. Um, Wonder Woman, issue 771. Becky Clunan and Michael Conrad writing with Travis Moore on the art. Um, and I'll get out of the way. I'm done. <laughs> oh, come on. I, I. I, I, like, the art's still great, but I, I, I was just, this was a tedious read for me. I have no interest in reading more of this. I'm good. I'm good. The, the, okay. There was a snake, Wonder Woman went in an egg. The- <laughs> you Nidhogg, you have the, oh, come on, man. Like, I know who Nidhogg is. I don't know who Nidhogg is. That's the snake, they told you! Well, no, they I know what it is now from the book. I'm, no, but you said you said that as if I would know who Nidhogg is was before. I didn't know who Nidhogg is was before. No, but you said there was a snake, so if you read, they told you its name is Nidhogg numerous times. No, no, you're not getting my point, Matt. You said it as yeah. if I would care about Nidhogg. I don't, because I didn't know who it was before. That was Right, because the... you were just so dismissive. You're like, oh, there's a snake, and he has to go into an egg. And it's like, like it just came from nowhere. It, and then it's, it's like, it's oh, not. what side is Ratatosk actually playing? <laughs> His own, because he serves Yggdrasil. So if Yggdrasil's sick, then it makes sense that he's got to, you know, probably do whatever it takes to save Yggdrasil. Like, if you're in this mythology, I get why. Because this is well told enough. I do think it's a little bit wordy, though. I was, I was, I was all... Uh, yeah, it is a little bit wordy. The first issue was, too. The... That was one of my main critiques yeah. of the first issue. But... Especially with the, the Thor stuff. You know, just yeah. I went on a bit. Him, I went on a bit. It, it felt like there's something a bit sinister going on where he's just like, "Oh, there's nothing to worry about." Because it's kind know, of very. I love Thor, the Valkyries though. deal with it. That's, uh, that's very Thor. Yeah, 
but everything everything I felt in the last issue with this arc just or and potentially this run, depending on where it goes and how long we're doing all this this mythology crap, is just it just feels like a tangent. It feels like something to do for a while. And and if maybe if I cared about this mythology I'd be more into it, but as it is, I do not. And I this was a bit of a chore to get through as a as a result. So uh I'll let you two take the lead. I mean I did read this, but I'll let yeah. you two take the lead, because I, I clearly have nothing that I'm interested in saying. Yeah. So, you know, Diana goes to, to Thor because she recognizes he's a god and uh, tries to talk to him about, like, Siegfried missing, and this is not normal. He's like, oh, no, that's how Valhalla replenishes itself. And Every so often, some people fade out so we can have fresh blood. Right, and he seems just to take it, and then she brings up the Valkyries, and he kind of gets dodgy about it and he's like oh you don't want the valkyries to not be on your side right mm. uh, and stuff and, and he's like yeah besides the, the missing people are mostly from their team not mine so nothing to worry about just gives us right, an advantage which, again, on on par with mythological thor yep you know uh which i do love that this feels nothing like thor from marvel like at all it is very very much the thor that gets drunk and and fights trolls and you know uh, yeah. that that yeah. version of him yeah uh, so He's not, the, not the not the smartest tool no so i mean he, he wields a hammer like that's that's it you know so they uh so her and, and radistock go you know through yidrasil and he says that they have to go to nidhogg because you know uh give me these actors it's been uh, it's because they're, they're, they're fighting the the elves or is it before the elves um I think it's before the other thing is uh, they want to go down because uh, the weapon that the yeah. secret had. They're like, yeah, I mean, maybe the dwarves. Let's go down and, and try and get some That's answers. That's right. Um, and so they, they fight some merc elves, which, you know, and other ones are, are dark elves. It's in the mythology of the two different kinds. Um, and, you know, usually elves and dwarves. It's the one thing that Tolkien borrowed for, for you know, Middle Earth. Elves and dwarves don't get along. So why are the elves protecting the, you know... The I mean, I would say he also borrowed a lot of the well, difference between light and dark elves. Yeah. Uh, with them being very similar, is not right. similar from the fact that uh, orcs, uh, the non-goblin orcs, are tended, tended to the first one, they were corrupted elves. So there's kind right. of like a twist on them being the dark elves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just saying, like, just the whole... Dwarves and, and elves don't get along, you know, long long standing rivalry between them. Yeah. Um, and Matt, during, during the fight, <clears throat> yeah. So, so they're, like, you know, they're having a big fight outside the cave, and they drop a massive boulder on her, mm -hmm. like quite a big one as well. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. and they use levers to push it off, and it actually knocks her unconscious. So she has mm -hmm. a, a vision, like we got in the dream last time, of the mysterious figure. Saying, you know, telling her she doesn't belong in Asgard, and then they start saying, you know, something's wrong with Olympus. Or, uh, well, yeah, there's something wrong with it. That, that's maybe my assumption that I'm projecting on that. But, you know, the idea they say Olympus is, and then it cuts off. And maybe, yeah. maybe they're saying Olympus is your home. So you know, not yeah. saying this isn't important, but Olympus is. And then I, my brain automatically felt in Fallen from those stupid Gerard Butler movies. Mm. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not gonna so, lie. When the boulder yeah. fell on her, right when it was, was pushed on her. Mm -hmm. My my thought was, and Connor will appreciate this more than Matt. 
But my thought was, is that Wonder Woman didn't hit the QTE. Because all I could think was Resident Evil 4 when they drop a boulder on you and you have to hit some buttons to dodge out the way. Hey, it's not a great insight, but... Sure. I read the book, so I'm, I'm but... interjecting a thought. <laughs> I, I do like when she goes to this realm, it is in black and white, but almost like unfinished pencils. Like she's Like, she's almost reloading. You know, like you bring up a video game, but it's like she's respawning. Yeah, I really like the color and how it's in the the red border for the panels, mm-hmm. and the, there's the the red uh, outline of the yeah. the word bubbles of the the mysterious figure. Mm-hmm. Do you like that? Uh, so, Connor, uh, you're a fellow fan of mythology. Are you mm-hmm. getting Atlas vibes from this? Are you character? saying that largely because of the way it's holding things up? Like the arms are up; they look like it's holding up the world. Yeah, and yeah. so like if you if if you have Yggdrasil, which is the world tree, which connects all the different realms right mm-hmm. and then you also have atlas who holds up the world you know that's his penis for or penance for being a you know for for leading yeah for being a titan some armies um you would think that like maybe him holding the the world is almost like a, a doorway he's almost holding up the sphere can, of the gods i can see that logic actually um, right almost you could kind of you could kind of do a twisted take on mythology where he is a branch of Idrisil. Right, that's that's what I'm thinking. You know? Um, That'd be interesting. Right, because you know, they, they come back and they, they venture into the cave uh, that leads to Nidavellir. Um, after, you know, she's, you know, Diana's straight up murdering elves uh, and runs them off. And they get there, and this is the first surprise that, that I got, is who happens to be in working the forge? But Doctor Psycho, and I don't know about you, but this is the first time I've read anything with Doctor Psycho since watching the Harley Quinn show. I can't not hear Tony Hill's voice. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, I'm glad I'm not the only one. No, and just the whole play on him being short, yet being the one manning the the forge. Yep. I'm just like, okay, well. The writers are having fun with the Wonder Woman mythology because now how the hell did he get here? And yeah, he he's just like, oh, this is nothing. Yeah, astral projection. This is my safe space. Raw masculinity. Which, that's, I did love that aspect because, again, I, I was never that familiar with Dr. Psycho and then watching the Harley Quinn show. Mm-hmm. And you get that. He is toxic masculinity, right? He's yes. got that chip on his shoulder and, you know, no one's, no woman's better than him. Um... I and then you think about a lot of Norse mythology has been co-opted by terrible people for those yes. reasons. Right. So kind of the idea that he's kind of taken that as well mm-hmm. makes a lot of sense. Makes a whole lot of sense. Um, and just just so I could uh, throw so some other stuff that Viking culture, as we know historically, was actually pretty, you know, e- equality based. That women could hold land and titles. You I know. Mean... It's still the Middle more, Ages. More so, more so than other cultures at the same time, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm just saying, like, it wasn't 100% equality, but just being a woman didn't disqualify you from, you know, holding tended, land, tended being in charge. A lot of leadership roles. Yeah. But, I mean, you could definitely hold land, and you mm-hmm. could inherit, which was huge. Right. So, just just wanted to throw that out there, because, you know, the Norse stuff does catch a lot of bad stuff because of the bad actors that have co-opted it. You know, so I gotta, as as the resident Viking nerd, I have to, you know. I say, mean, Vikings my... were all. I mean, 
there, there is a difference between Viking and Norse Viking right. profession. Vikings, right. on the whole, pretty terrible people. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's kind of what they did. <laughs> trying, to, trying to stop the spread of Christianity uh, through, through that, you know, tends to do that, right? Like, <laughs> well, there, there was many a pillage mm-hmm. committed by Vikings. It's kind yes. of their shtick. Right. Uh, let's say, not, not the best people, but no. very fascinating society. Very much so. So, um, Psycho, who wants to be called by his actual name, which how do you pronounce? Is it is it sort of Psycho? Is it Cisco? What what's... I don't know because it reads okay. as Cisco, doesn't it? Right. Um, but I could buy that it's Psycho if you wanted to. Uh, right. I'm assuming it's not just because otherwise, right? Would, he he wouldn't be able to tell the difference uh, when she right. calls the dog the Psycho, right? Right. So he she wants to know, you know, he he's building these weapons, and so it it goes off like, well, if there's something up with the weapons, you know, that are, that are you know being enchanted wrong or whatever, um, it, you know, he must have something to do with it. So she makes him talk, and uh, he claims he has nothing to do with the Vi- the the Valkyries and, whatsoever. Uh, um, you say if I makes him talk, we we we're dealing with some torture here, right? I think so because. She goes over to the these weapons, but she doesn't grab a blade. She grabs a rope, you know. Right, and it's yeah. about all oh, this this familiarity. Like, you know, there's this, mm-hmm. you know, the the memory almost of the lasso of truth. But this is not the lasso of truth. I think that's no. the point: is that it's evoking the imagery of the lasso of truth. It says anything can be a lasso of truth in the right hands, which implies a really dark event took place. Well, he's place. tied to a chair, and all I can think of is Casino Royale. Yeah. Well. <laughs> It is Dr. Psycho, so it wouldn't have that much damage, right? You'd think. <laughs> he ain't bond. It's a very small target. Yeah, <laughs> come on. Like, you know. Um, but no, definitely some some light torture, you, you maybe, you know? Bending I, fingers I, back, I maybe. The one thing with Dr. Psycho is he would crack pretty quickly yeah. when it comes to physical torture. So it wouldn't right. take that much. So yeah. light torture is probably fair. But it, it's right. really dark. I love the colors. Here as well, because this whole place is uh, um, underground. It's these these deep reds, the, the furnace, yeah. but it takes over and just uh, for for these couple of pages where the the torture happens, right. and it there's a lot of really heavy shadows. There's the one uh, the panel of uh, Ratatos kind of peering out from behind mm-hmm. the corner, just in shadow, but this red glow, absolutely gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the, he's the one that brings up the serpent. Um. So they, they go down to the roots of of uh, uh, Yggdrasil, and you know basically the the serpent you know says that you know I have the key but it's you know inside so you got to come get it. Uh, yeah, that's it's, quite a so challenge. I'll, I'll, I'll swap at you for an eagle egg uh, on on Ratatosk's. I want to say advice. What's the word I'm looking mm-hmm. for here? Kind of insistence, maybe interjection. And he's like, hey, boy, what about an eagle egg? Yeah, yeah. That, that seems fair. Um, and so they, they do the swap. And uh, so now they have to climb up Yggdrasil, which we get this real fun, you know, uh, back and forth between her and Radostock uh, to get to the eagle, which I, I remember there's something special about the eagle. And I, I have to look this up. Um, but uh, as they're going up, they pass like a face on the tree. Which I thought was a fun, fun little uh, art. Art. Yeah, that was nice. Art. And then uh, we we run into Odin. Yeah, 
who who is hung himself, you know, upside down, mind you. I was just uh, say interesting, probably more of a family friendly, safe yeah. depiction because this yeah. is. I'm assuming this is just a, a T-rated comic uh, off right. the top of my head. So he's uh, hanging from a foot, not from his neck, as is right. typically portrayed. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's hanging from, a, from the branch, and she asks if he's okay, and he's dozed off because he's sacrificed himself to gain knowledge, which, you know, Norse mythology. Yep. Um, this is where he you know, gives up his eye and hangs mm-hmm. for three days. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and so, you know, Talks about how you know, um, asks if if she's met his son Thor. She says, "Yeah, um, he's a good kid, bit of a dunderhead, but he means well." And I was like, "That's Thor in a <laughs> in a <laughs> in a nutshell." Pretty much, yeah. Um, but yeah, so you know, you also have Hugin and Munin right there, which is another nice art flourish. Like, Moore is really having a lot of fun. Like, and I don't know if that's in the script. I'm sure it is, but just the way that. You know, all these aspects are are being thrown in. I, I appreciate them. Um, but but yeah, so um, they talk about the unknowable, and then he, you know, kind of cuts himself loose and just goes dropping. Um, right. But he mentions, you know, you know, you do hope you sort the thing with the Valkyries out there. Critical. And it's like mm-hmm. okay. And again, Odin's very cryptic here. That's right. Uh, this is quite a you know. Not a unique take, but an interesting take on Odin, uh, where mm-hmm. you know he'll speak in not necessarily riddles, but just n- well, seemingly nonsense, but is right. usually very, very important. You have to kind of decipher it, which again, Tensa, he's the god of wisdom and that type of stuff, so he's the main god. Um, yeah, he being there just first. knows a lot of stuff and just assumes that everyone else knows a lot of stuff as well. And when he talks, and then doesn't realize that we don't have that knowledge necessarily. And so you have to kind of really put pieces together. Things come clearer later. Uh, I will be interested to go back and read this conversation later in the arc. I'm sure yeah. it is enlightening. Right. Um, and as they're, they're going up the, uh, the tree, the battle horn uh, sounds and she looks and there's, there's still, you know, the fight going on. And it looks like giants have now entered the fray, which is, you know, a pretty, pretty big thing. Seems like Ragnarok's along the way. Uh, and then Siegfried appears to her, almost like in a vision. Um, so... Yeah, so no, there's an interesting effect, because it feels like there's something... Because if it was just the first panel, I would say, oh, it's just a vision. But the disappearing mm-hmm. into the green smoke makes it feel like there was something there. Yeah. Which is a little bit different to, to me. It's, it's like almost when the, when the battle horn goes... Mm-hmm. He's, he is still summoned. There is something there to to, to call him back. Um, I'm very intrigued as to what he's doing there. Yeah. So, um, so they they get to the eagle, and um, you know, very unnamed quickly uh, gives up the egg. Right. But so I, I'm I'm looking here of of the eagle and Nidhog and Radostock, and there's a a balance between them in the old Prosetta. Where Radisaw carries messages between the unnamed eagle and Nidhogg, the worm that resides below the world tree. Mm-hmm. They propose many theories about the implications of this bird. Right? So, like, again, not exactly what's going on with the bird, but like Connor said, it it hands it over pretty well. So whatever it is, it, it knows Radisaw's plan, you would think. Uh, yeah, just to exactly. hand over one of the eggs. Um, 
And the quarter shot of socks slide all the way down. Right. Um, which, which again, uh, uh, pretty, pretty fun visual flourishes here, you know. Um, and then they they hollow out the egg, and they put Diana in it uh, because the shell's hard enough. It'll it'll save him from all the save her from all the teeth. Uh, and seemingly uh, a little bit Trojan horse stuff going on here. Yeah, yeah. And Radostock uh, hands over the egg, says the eagle ate Diana. So unassuming. Um, but Nidhogg, before the you know final panel, brings up that this uh, makes our bargain null and void. All the the key remains with me. And well done. Every day passes. Uh, I feel the the roots of Yggdrasil weaken. So it's very interesting because Diana even says to to Ratatos, uh, just the page or two before this that uh, you know she's not sure if she's the one being tricked or not. You can't tell with Ratatos, right. I mean, um, and it's is it because again that's the implication here when he's talking with with Nidog here at the end is that no they had a secret bargain and he's just mm -hmm. sacrificed Diana and give, given mm -hmm. her the egg. Uh, part of a larger plan uh but i just i don't know i don't know if that's right. ratos tricking the serpent or not like i genuinely can't tell right um i just i feel like if the ratosok i don't feel it's playing their own game because he he lives in the world tree so if the, the roots of the world tree are dying that gives that up so unless he's someone else unless it's revealed this is a form of loki you know, okay. who's mischievous or whatever. Um, but yeah, so I, I definitely feel like he's tricked Nighthawk here because we know Diana's in there and we know she's going to get the key, you know. Uh, so yeah, I think ultimately we have faith in Diana as a character to get herself out, right? Right. Uh, which, yeah, I mean, I, I really enjoyed this. Uh, I, it's a very dense issue. There's a lot going mm -hmm. on, as, as you can tell. Like, we've gone through like six different plot threads, it seems like. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't feel that when I'm reading it. It flows really well. Um, I felt I think it. Even, <laughs> I was going to say, I think even Pete would acknowledge that despite not caring about all the mythology and stuff, it's not a challenging read. Uh... I mean, it depends on by challenging, I suppose, because I, uh, I did feel the length, I did feel the density. So I, 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 was that just on sheer, like, the amount of words, especially near the start, or was that on the actual, like, there was a lot happening? Uh, probably mostly just the words, for the most part, to be honest, near the start. So, Thought bubbles. Being, being a fan of, of all this mythology and stuff, it definitely seems like someone's trying to break the cycle of Ragnarok. Right, because Ragnarok's a great cycle. Every time their time ends, it, it restarts and they do it all again. And that's what the whole stuff in Valhalla that Thor's not worried about, right? However, if if someone's trying to weaken the world tree and break the cycle and like is trying to free uh Nidhogg, you know, then who is behind that and why do they want to break the cycle? Because if they break the cycles, they're gonna throw the sphere of the gods out of whack. You know, is this is this someone from from Diana's realm? You know, from from Olympus oh, that's doing this. He spelled something. He's going to go and uh, deal gotcha. with the spellage. They could tell you, Matt. Yeah, no. So there's there's just a lot of questions that you know, as someone that's that's more dialed into this than you know someone like 
you, Pete. Uh, that that lends to questions. Um, but removing all that, I mean, just her going to the key. This is typical hero stuff. You know, this is stuff from mythology. You know, tricking the dragon or whatever. Um, and yeah, so I, I really enjoy it. That, that shocker, right? Um, I, I, this is exactly the type of stuff I like Wonder Woman being involved in. So, and you throw Vikings in there or Norse stuff, and it's doubly so. Yeah, I I don't care about any of it. <laughs> so yeah, of course. That, that's basically what it boils down to. Um, I'm not typically any fantasy stories, and mythology to me is just fantasy. A lot of fantasy comes from mythology, or is uh, uh, a take on mythology in a lot of ways. Um, yeah, it's it's one of those things where I just like I I didn't leave it till last. Technically, technically I left Rorschach to last because I I mm-hmm. I always leave that to last for some reason. I, I guess because it's separate in my brain from the rest of the DC yeah. books. But I left this to last of the rest of the books, partly because I just was putting it off because I knew I wasn't super enthusiastic about it. Um, you know, well, it wasn't like all bad issue one. Certainly, there was definitely things to say, and the art is still very very good. Uh. I just, I knew I wasn't that excited. And then actually reading it, I kind of felt myself, like, I'm kind of forcing myself through this because it's called Wonder Woman, not because I actually am enjoying what it's doing. It feels, <sighs> filler feels a bit harsh, but it does feel like it is just doing something that is separate from everything else because it's not allowed to be a part of anything else right now. Um, So... Yeah, I'm done. I, I saw in you about halfway through the issue. I was just kind of like, yeah. you know, I'm done with this squirrel leading her around. Um, you know, and then Big Jake towards the end. I just I was like, you know, I'm 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 good. Hmm. Gotcha. So d- did you read the backup? No, but I, I knew I wasn't going to read the backup because I didn't like yeah, it in the me, first, me either. first issue. I looked either. at it and for whatever reason I thought it was going to be the Nubia stuff. Right? Nah. <laughs> and it, it was this more the this and i was like oh okay yeah um, uh, so Takara, did you read the backup no that was that okay okay cool yeah. so then so then uh if i'm rating it i'm, I'm gonna give this an 8.5 because i thoroughly enjoyed this the art again uh and a lot of the story despite being really dense um and and a lot to read um it's a lot of what i like to read so you can't complain too much yeah well car uh, 8.5 for me as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is a tough one to rate. I'll go with 5.5. Uh, I won't put it in the bad category because objectively I don't think it is bad. It's just I uh, got nothing out of it and found it a bit of a chore. Because um, having a lot of dialogue isn't necessarily a big problem necessarily, but when I am uninterested in what the book's about and it's constantly referring to names and places and shit that I just... I don't know. It just makes it kind of gloss over. Like, you know, it's almost sleep fuel at that point where my brain just starts to turn away from it. But, uh, there you go. I'm sure you two will keep reading it though, so not to yep. worry. Uh, not, not a chance of that stopping anytime soon. There'll be, there'll be coverage on, on Wonder Woman on the, on the show. I'll jump back in when we're done with all this, uh, the Valhalla shit. Uh, that's a, that's an interesting question then. So, assuming that this is a one arc thing, and the run continues, it still builds off of this stuff, but we're no longer in Valhalla, 
and no longer playing with Norse mythology. Are you going to jump back in then, or like straight away? No, no, I'll, I'll jump back in when Wonder Woman's back on Earth and doing regular continuity stuff. Hey, but we we are going to have a Wonder Girl starting soon. So, yes, oh, I'm looking forward to know. that. Yeah, yeah, I keep keep getting to those uh, the the, the single page ads for it at the back of the books. Yeah, it makes me very happy. Yeah. I'm just I'm not into Wonder Woman going around, even if it's various different settings, being like vaguely amnesia amnesia act, is that a word? I mean, <laughs> assuming that again, hypothetically, end of this arc, she has her memories back and she's dealing with Olympus. Like, you know, she's back to, you know, her own area of expertise. Mm-hmm. Does that count as like you know, it's te- technically not Earth, but it's still like you know, that's Wonder Woman territory. It's hard to judge. It's especially hard to judge when I'm not reading it and like is that enough of a change <laughs> to justify me It's like he back? doesn't want know. to say no, but he doesn't want to hard commit either, so he's like, meh. Yeah, I'm not hard committing. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. There's, no, there's nothing wrong with admitting you're not hundred percent sure on something, okay? That's okay. No, I know, but just <laughs> the way that you were saying it, it was just like it's really hedging your bets. Yeah. It was real funny to me. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't know if this because maybe this run will only be all this stuff and then once we do have her back on like a sort of more regular place it'll be a new run then and so then maybe, maybe that'll be when I jump back in anyway but um, but for for now I'm I'm, I'm good I'm good I, 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 don't th- I don't feel like I'm going to miss anything that important <laughs> so, so Pete doesn't like the eagle the squirrel the snakes he's going to hate the deer if they get to that point on the world tree so, yeah, I. Hey, I, I, I could. There's definitely a way to tell this story where I'm more into it. It's not like I can get into things that are set within this mythology. Um, Name there's... one thing you're into that's set in this mythology. I like God of War. Mm-hmm. You did it. I can't. I can't remember the name of a single god outside of the ones that I would know anyway in that game. But that's okay because what I cared about was. Do, do you know who Tyr is? No. That's okay. a big mystery in God of War, like because uh, he's not really? there. Uh, well, not not who he is, but he's missing, so to speak. Uh, to, to, so to it means it, justice is missing. To put it in context, I don't remember which god the villain of God of War was. I remember what he looked like and what he sounded and what the fighting was like. I, I couldn't tell you what his name was. I don't was know Balder. who it was. Was Balder? Okay. Yeah. I would never have gotten that. So, annoying I was going to suggest Balder. Just because of the, you know. Well, because uh, I'm assuming, Matt, you, you happen to presumably already know Baldur's weakness. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty important in that game. Uh, very Achilles-esque. Yeah. Mm. Like, I know Matt hasn't played that, and, and it, it plays it as like a mystery the first like right. couple of times you see him. But if you know your mythology, you get it pretty quickly. So I, I don't feel like I'm spoiling it for you personally. <laughs> No, no, no. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know his weakness. I don't remember it now, if I'm honest, but that's okay. Uh, mistletoe. Mistletoe. Mm-hmm. Because Loki is, is the reason. Yeah, because Loki, yeah. <laughs> A lot of mythology is, is I, because Loki. I don't yeah. remember shoving mistletoe in his face in the game, but all right. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you whoa, whoa, come on now. I'm sure you have to forge a spear out of the wood of mistletoe, and then that's how An you arrow. defeat him. Because... Some mistletoe arrow. Because, because again, that's a lot of Norse mythology is the the gods just messing around and bad things happening because of it. And like one of my favorite stories is 
that at Baldur's funeral, the gods are so upset because they're not used to the gods dying, right? To, to make everyone feel better, Thor kicks a dwarf into the fire. And it's just care. like, yeah, <laughs> okay. <laughs> God's doing stuff because, you know, we're sad, so we're going to throw this, this, yeah. L Loki's, um, a, Loki's a horse having horse babies. What are you going to do yeah. about it? Ooh, one of his horse babies is the eight-legged steed of uh, Odin, Schlutnir. Yes. Uh, and another one's a wolf that's going to eat the world. Uh, Fenrir. Loki's such a weird character. I love he it. He is. Um, there's, uh, so does Balder never like, attack at Christmas because he might find some mistletoe? Mm -hmm. like... Well, there's the, the whole concept of the wild hunt is kind yeah. of what gives the idea of of uh, a lot of Christmas traditions that we, we celebrate now. Um, I'm just imagining so... uh, Kratos just getting some mistletoe hanging up on the ceiling so that, you know, when Balder walks in to kill him, He's like, oh no, you're under the mistletoe. And it was basically, it was, it's, it's a godly oversight is the only reason that yeah. the mistletoe, like, yeah. ah, who gives a shit? It's, it's, a lot, it's very similar to Achilles with mom dipping him into the river by his heel. Therefore, it's the only part that's vulnerable. Was, uh, there's, a, there's a difference with that where it's a forced thing like that's inherent right. in the story is, you know, you have to have a weakness because of this, whereas right. in, in Boulder, it's Loki going, screw you, you need a weakness. Uh-huh. Was uh, the big snake in the lake and got a war the same snake as this Wonder Woman issue? Uh, no. That's the Midgard serpent. That's that's a little bit different. Okay. That's the serpent that's that eventually Wonder. kills Thor. Yeah, uh, different snake. In Ragnarok. He seemed more friendly in, the, in God of War, which is why I was uh, yeah. asking. Yeah. Uh, but yes, okay. Do you know the reason there's a lot of snakes in North mythology? It's no, uh, it's uh, or, or the reason that historians think there is a lot of snakes. They're mm -hmm. not snakes at all. Uh, they're worms, right? And it's because people in the Middle Ages had a lot of worms uh, inside them, and they would come out and be rather large, and that led to a lot of unflattering opinions of of the imagery of them. Uh, just well, what led to a lot of stories. Yeah. Well, another word for worms also dragon, so that makes sense. Yep. You know. Uh, that's yeah, disgusting. At... It is disgusting. It's why it stuck with me. It was such a fun fact to learn. I don't know what you think that's about great. that. That is absolutely disgusting. Um, I mean, there's a lot of things that have improved since the Middle Ages. I'm now putting that number it's, one on the list. It's well, also... why Dog is generally considered uh, to be unchivalrous and is, huh. uh, you know, a, a sign of poor honor. Right. Uh, it, it's because of that link. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Well... There you go. That's that conversation done. Uh, uh, I'm happy to leave it and never come back. Can you tell me and Matt like mythology? Uh, I like other. I like other mythologies. The Expanse has great mythology. <laughs> it's not the same. I mean, it kind of is, but it's not. Star Trek has cool mythology. You know what the difference is? Uh -huh. Star Wars has cool mythology. Uh, TV show, movies, it's lore. Ancient actually, just it's mythology. You know what else has good mythology? DC Comics. <laughs> I was gonna say Indiana Jones. Good mythology. <laughs> Not really. <Yeah. laughs> no, I mean that's not a strong part of Indiana Jones. 
he's he's actively looking for mythological objects. I know, the but they're, they're just big guffins. It doesn't really matter. Yeah. <laughs> The, 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 the journey's the important part. The actual mythological Wait, I didn't things. actually meet it. I just met it as a as a as a lark. Hey, Mads Mikkelsen's going to be in the Indiana Jones Five, Matt. How do you feel about it? I'm I'm excited. I like Mads. Mads I did not see that to... part of the casting news, yeah. so I'm all for uh, that. And Mads directed by James Mangold. That's you know, sure he's the villain. Yeah, so... they're not saying that. We're all assuming he's the villain, but they've not actually said yeah. that. I want to point that out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very easy to assume he's the villain. Which is why certain movies use that to wonderful advantage. On uh, on, on Hannibal, was he? Wait, Hannibal. are you trying to imply Rogue One used that to wonderful no, I'm advantage? No, I was, I was, I was actually implying the Hunt used that to wonderful advantage. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right, I'll accept that one. He's a terrible person. Yeah. Um. What's supposed to be his nationality on Hannibal? Because I always forget oh, what I... Hannibal was meant to be. Is he meant to be Austrian? I don't know. He's actually Danish, though, right? He's Danish. Yeah, right. the actor. Austrian. I mean, Hannibal's a very Austrian name. Right. I don't know. Uh, Neil Mark show. I'm gonna find it now. Not sure they ever said, to be honest. Yeah. Mm. I'm wondering if he's the villain. What if he's, you know, you know, maybe a leftover from Indiana Jones's best villains. You know. <laughs> <laughs> It's not impossible, I guess. Oh, dear. All right, let's move on, shall we? <laughs> they was going to have fun editing the back chunk of that out of the Wonder Woman video. Uh, Batman Urban Legends issue two is the uh, the now ongoing anthology book with multiple ongoing stories. Uh, I'm just going to read you all the story credits just now because there's a nice handy credits page. That I'm not going to come back to later, so I was going to read you them all. Uh, so we got the the Red Hood story, uh, two of six. Chip Jarsky writing that with Eddie Barrows and Eber Ferreira uh, and Julio Ferreira uh, on the art. Uh, we have an and, oracle uh, and Marcus Toe as well on the art as well. Oh, the, the flashback. flashback, quite right, quite right, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, then we have Oracle uh, and Ghost in the Machine, Cecil Castellucci writing uh, with Margaret Savage on the art. We have got the next part of the Outsider story, which is part two of three. Uh, that's Brandon Thomas writing with Max Dunbar on art. And we have the Grifter story, which is part two of five, which is Matthew Rosenberg writing with Ryan Benjamin on art. So that's what's coming up. Uh, first things first, actually, before we get to them, is that I actually read like two pages of the Oracle story and then realized it was a follow-up to the run that we all dropped, and I just didn't read the rest of it. So okay. I, I read that one. I, I read it all. We'll, we'll discuss. Sure. Um, yeah, you can't, you can't say what it is, but I, I like a couple of pieces. I was like, oh my god, I don't like this. I like how it looks, and then I, then I realized. Oh, I, so, I'm shocked. Pete didn't like the artist. He hated in Future State. Yeah. Oh, is this the Supergirl say, artist? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, there you go. For me, the art was the strongest part of that, uh, but it's very silly. So we'll get there. I, yeah. I spend most of it just kind of enjoying the art. I, I'll be honest. I couldn't tell you much about the story overall. Uh, that's because there was not much there. <laughs> well, we'll <get> <laughs> let's start with Red Hood then. Uh, the last part ended with him uh, killing the father of the boy that he, you know, he has in his care, uh, and it being this kind of you know shockingly good. The last like four or five pages of that Red Hood story last month was fantastic. And then he proceeds to have a basic panic attack because yep. he just <laughs> just was like, oh man, I wasn't thinking. Uh, I this kid's an orphan now, maybe. I can't take a pod. Like, he's having an existential crisis. And, yeah. It's like, am I Bruce now? 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Become what I hate. Yeah, and he has the flashback, of course, to when his mother was, uh, d- you know, doing deals with a drug dealer, presumably selling herself for them. Uh, yep. It's kind of an implication. It doesn't get too into it, but it's kind of the implication. And young Jason pushes this guy down the stairs. Now, it doesn't actually say that he killed him, but... I think there's a reasonable assumption, though, given yeah. that he's, the issue starts with him talking about all the people he's killed and how he, you know, all, you know, the, the, it's it's been a pretty frequent occurrence for him. I think it's kind of a big deal, though, that it's suggesting that he actually did kill someone before he even met Batman. Here's the thing. Uh, he might have killed him by pushing him down the stairs, but I don't think the intent was to kill. The intent was sure. to hurt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, so... He wasn't going um, for a kill shot. He 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 pushed him out of anger. He just happened to fall badly. I mean, the dude did pull a knife on him, you know. So, oh, you suggesting this drug dealer was as an upstanding citizen with a yeah. Uh, what what you're doing there, Matt, is you are defending Red Hood's very existence. I I am because here's the thing, guys. Um, they keep giving us good Red Hood stories. I can no longer say I hate the Red Hood as a concept. Um, so if DC wants to out. stop. Turns out you might have just hated Lobdell. Maybe. Because uh, I didn't mind when they brought him back, right? And that was Judd Winnick. Mm-hmm. Um, Judd Winnick did the, 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 what was that called? It was the miniseries that took place in between his death and when he returned. Um, and it involved Talia and, and the League of Shadows and all this stuff. Um, that was good. It was also the, um, the, the animated movie, uh, uh-huh. Under the Red Hood. Yeah, um, which Winnick also wrote. What's really he, fascinating about that is he wrote it without rereading, right? Because he wrote the comics that's based on as well. He did it without rereading what mm-hmm. his script was or you know any of his the work, the finished right. work. So you get like this really tight adaptation without and any of the streamlined. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah. So him, you know, I just feel like he Jason's needs to be enough away from everyone else. And here, Zadarsky really does show how he's different than the rest of the Bat family. You know, he really is the black sheep, but he still cares for people, right? Like, his whole point of the existential crisis here was like, okay, I got mad, I killed this guy, but now I just put this kid into the system, which was really bad for me, right? So, um, yeah, even yeah. As a, he has, he's as, not a total dirtbag. He has a line where he's like, wait, I just wait for like a, a billionaire to adopt him. Yeah. Like, he has a line like, along those lines. Um, so there's a scene where Batman's chasing down some of the these thugs in a van, and I have to say, from an art perspective, my favorite sequence in the whole book is how it plays with like Batman scaring the shit out of these guys in the van. Mm-hmm. Like you know the way he appears down the street after they get out of the van, and then you know, the shadows sort of come in because the lights turn yep. off, uh, and then the following couple of pages where Batman's like you know coming out of the darkness behind them as they try to fire a gun. This is a really like good like three or four pages of just like a Batman attacking some criminals like mm-hmm. stuff this is just really solid stuff mm-hmm. um really liked it. The, the layouts are really cool because they they play with the bat symbol mm-hmm. right like um lots of off angles the, as well to give us some yeah. motion yeah and then the the guy takes the swing says you don't scare me and batman pulls the grapple gun on him and i'm like wait where did we just jump to this is not that and then he goes how about now and and he's basically got the guy's leg while a coyote style yeah, you know, ties up to the um, lamppost. Um, yeah, so um, all very fun, classic Batman stuff. Yeah, all all very good. 
Uh, and you know, this is what he ends up calling Oracle. Uh, the information here is interesting, though. It's playing into the ongoing stuff in that uh, the thugs, because these used to be Scarecrow guys, and they claim the Scarecrow's dead. So this is playing into the belief that Scarecrow's dead. So it's a nice little tie-in continuity-wise to the main Batman book. But yeah. it mentions that they're working for Freeze, but they say that they're not even doing anything villainous. They're just getting these groceries. Yeah. <laughs> Which I, I love the idea that Batman picks all these guys up, and all they were doing was I going mean, out and getting his lunch. <laughs> Freeze can't go out and get his own food. Not in that big bulky right. suit. That's true. I, I I assumed, honestly, home delivery would have been the way to go. But if you've got goons, why not make the most of them? Use them. Well, yeah, because you, you have to pay your goons. You pay, well, like, I suppose you do. That's yeah, why they're goons. Yeah. But if you're paying the goons... The point is, though, is you're paying the goons anyway. You don't have to pay extra for delivery, is, is what I'm saying. Are, are you saying the goons are salaried? Yeah. I'm, say, I'm saying they're getting paid... At least paid per day. Goons, I thought goons were paid on a per-job basis. Well... Here's the thing. He says, what's he up to? He goes, honestly, nothing. He He's sending us out for, for groceries, but it's work. You know, he does the whole <laughs> Flintstones. Yeah. Uh, you know, so I either, I think they're salaried, right? Because if he's not salaried, they don't have to take the grocery job. You know? Yeah, good, yeah I presume that he keeps them on retainer for and yeah. pays them a set amount. For, for menial tasks like this, because if you had to pay them individually for each task like this, it'd cost them a fortune. It wouldn't be worth I'll, it. I want to revisit the, uh, remember the, the, the app that was like hire a goon? Yes. Mm -hmm. I, I want that. Like, a, you know, you, you can, you can advance and, oh, now you're in a salaried position. You're an upper level goon. <laughs> oh, I want this book. All right. So what you're saying, this is like Uber, but instead of paying for a random person to be a taxi driver, you're paying for them to just go pick up your food. Well which I guess well, it's is like, it's, kind of little it's, it's like but, I'm, but I mean groceries, though. I'm not talking about takeaway. I'm talking about okay. go pick up my, you know, like, bread, fish, and fruit. It, it's Uber <laughs> Hench. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so. so he talks to Oracle on the comms, though, and they talk about the Jason situation. Uh, the kid still wants to play with Jason's mask, which just makes mm -hmm. him feel terrible. Uh, he's going through the whole thing. We get the, the rest of the flashback, which we already kind of mentioned. And, you know, Batman, of course, comes to see Jason. And I kind of like this thing here where Jason, he could sort of stop and explain and sort of mm -hmm. say exactly what happened, but he kind of acts in character for Jason and just gets angry and tells Batman he's being, you know, too sanctimonious. And I'm like... You know, Jason, there's actually a lot to go to this story that led to that moment and the fact that there's a kid involved and why he got angry. Yep. And he isn't trying to explain anything. He just starts giving the, the regular Jason Todd speech to Batman that he mm. always gives these days. And it's kind of like, so you see why Batman doesn't trust him. Uh, right. But I do like the end of the narration, Jason acknowledged it and says, you know, I really shouldn't be saying this, but I can't help it. <laughs> like, I know this is not the course of action. And the powerful ending we have of this issue, which is not as powerful, I think, as some of the scenes at the end of the last issue, but uh, is the kid actually comes in when they start fighting um, and actually basically gets in front of Jason and tells Batman, no, Batman, he's a good guy. Uh, and that's kind of mm -hmm. your, your your dramatic ending. Um, so, which yeah. I, you know, it's powerful. It's powerful. I think, I think it's a really tough issue. I think the biggest problem is Barrow's struggles with kids. It just looks like a short man. Yeah. Like Matt? Shorter. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, some of them, I'm 
looking at him. Uh, like it's not it's not all the time. Some of them are better than others, but like at yeah. the end where he's jumping in front and he's you know he's got his arm up. It's mm-hmm. like doing the, the it, it it just looks like a short guy. It doesn't look like a kid, which is kind of my yeah. point. Mm. Yeah. It's because kids have different proportions, right? Uh, in their body. It's mm-hmm. it's not just that they're shorter. They are differently proportioned. <laughs> Big heads, small necks, you know. Yeah. Yeah, like, yeah. Th- there are these things, and it it just doesn't look right here. Yeah, okay. Uh, I, I, the artist was Barrows is a very dependable kind of artist. It's never. Yeah. We, I, I don't think we ever rank him in the the upper tier of, you know, the the ones we always praise and give best of the week to and all yeah. that. But uh, a very dependable sort of B plus kind of artist, I'd say. Is I think it's really hurt a little bit with the fact that I think Marcus Toe is better. Hmm. It kind of outshines yeah. him a little bit in the same issue, mm-hmm. but I, I think the draft again is really good. The idea of this, this new, essentially this new orphan sticking up for Jason to to Batman sort of adds a bit of, bit of a wrench in the usual flow of this dynamic, which is I think we're all kind of praying for a little bit because you know when the conflict starts and Batman's yelling, "Yeah, you killed in my city," and Jason's just saying, "Ah, you're all high and mighty, you prick," and they're just fighting. It's the same old thing. I think you're hoping for something to change the narrative because it's not the same old story. Mm-hmm. So when this kid gets in the middle of it, not only is this kid being kind of this dramatic center point of the whole thing thus far, he now becomes this kind of literal change in the dynamic between the two characters where maybe Bruce and Jason will even bond to some extent over this because now Jason's got an orphan <laughs> that I, he cares about. I, you know. No, because I do think that the, the kid's mom's going to pull through. Oh, you know? yeah, but and and the, they're gonna help her not to create the same cycle that created oh, eventually, yeah. Matt. But until that happens, they're not going to know for a while, and I think they're going to melt that that's true. during that time. I think that's when the bonding, yeah, will happen. Um, but it's good stuff. Well, yeah, I mean, we were impressed with well, that. I was first gonna part. say because in their fight, he he says that you know Bruce is a failed parent, which. You know, I have many issues with Bruce, but that's not one of them. You know, you know Dick and Tim seem pretty think, well adjusted for being I heroes. I think it's interesting though that, that Jason feels that way. Yeah, that he didn't try and adapt to him. Right. Right. I, don't know, I think there's something there that you could mm-hmm. criticize. No, I. For. I definitely understand where he's coming from on that one. Like, I get where Jason's rage comes from. You know, and just right. as, as someone that has a difficult relationship with my own dad him automatically you know being like oh you got to be let in you're a vampire i didn't invite you so, so you know some, some kids starting off hostile you know some kids so. are just more of a more of a you know more of a hassle yeah <laughs> more of a handful that's maybe more better phrase yeah uh more of a handful and jason falls out of that cat it's kind of like saying the customer's always right uh that's all fine and well but some customers aren't <laughs> The customer's an a-hole. Most, in my experience, most customers are wrong. That's true. I actually agree with that, but, you know. That's, that's... Even when I'm the customer, I'm probably wrong. Yeah. Well, the, you're, you're Conroe. You're always wrong. <laughs> yeah, so still waiting on that CR21 vaccination. I don't know when that's coming yeah. out. It's, it it never is. Yeah. you got to get through at least 250 more episodes. For your the tree gets worse <laughs> the disease. CR twenty one. All right, what, what are we rate in the Red Hood story? I'm gonna give this an eight. 
Connor? Yeah, it's an 8 from me. Yeah, I'm also giving it the straight 8. Nice and easy, that one. Uh, then it's the Oracle story, Ghost in the Machine, uh, which I didn't, I didn't read uh, past the first couple of pages because I, you know, I was sort of like, it was referencing things and then it realized, oh, wait, this is Castellucci. She was literally the one who was on the run yeah. that, that I abandoned. And I was like, oh, I don't think there's much point in me reading this now. And I'm not enjoying what I've read so far. And I don't like the art. So I just was like, okay, next story. So. Right. Connor, did you read it? I technically, yes. But right. I, uh, I kind of, after about three pages, ended up mm-hmm. kind of skimming. Uh, okay. Not intentionally, just I found myself mm-hmm. like just looking at the art and following it and like, I, I like the bit where they're at the where she's at the part of the chess table and kind of talking to the various bats and, and like yeah I, I, I couldn't tell you what happened. There's that was kind of I was gonna say that was kind of what I did as well in the sense that I read like two pages and then I noticed that I was just kind of skimming the next couple of pages and I went you know what there's no point in that <laughs> I'll just stop yeah so a lot like Castellucci's background run there's there it's not like completely terrible it's just very it just it feels off. So there's there's cool things in here like she, her wanting to become Oracle and like her basically being the the dispatch for for the bat teams. That that's a great concept. It's just the villain she's fighting is Vi Ross who whose name whose actual name is like Vivian something and she was an epidemiologist but also a computer person. Where you're just like, all right, you're just you're putting a hat on a hat at this point. Uh, her name was Vivian Rossdale, aka Vi Ross, and she's going through and and infecting Gotham with these little, you know, like incidental things that Barbara ends up, you know, stopping. But in doing so, she decides to create a mobile, basically a mobile clock tower in her in her tracksuit. Which I'm just like, what are we doing? <laughs> like, you know, smart glasses. Okay, it's Batgirl. I can, you know, she was Batgirl once. I can see that. Earbud for communications. Hidden pin button microphone. Telescoping antenna doubles as a cane or a weapon if needed. All right, so now we're turning into James Bond, too. Like, none of these uh, individually sound like a big deal, but the fact that they're making a point of like listing all this out is what makes it feel a bit I silly. Think in, in, that in was a the page track? where I checked out, you know, because I read the yeah. first three pages, mm-hmm. more or less, and then I got uh, to that page, and it was all the here's all the things on like various bits. So, you know, it's all like the the bubbles, but it's done in the style of the the circuitry behind it, and I just mm-hmm. love yeah. all that. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I, having just skimmed through it, the, the chess stuff with the Bat family members does seem like a fun idea that maybe yeah. could be used again in a different fashion by yeah. someone else. But because yeah, she's, she's looking through her smart goggles, right, her, her glasses, and, you know, the, she's looking at them like they're, the, you know, pieces on the chessboard, and they're sending them to these places that uh, Virus has hit before, and it all comes down to floppy disks, and... Um, she she manipulates she's sitting on the bus and with her super suit she manipulates all of the the green lights through this to you know to get somewhere quicker and i was like all i could think of was well you just messed up traffic for everybody else you know like it's very inconvenient um but i i will agree with that but she didn't do it unsafely she didn't let anyone at risk she just she still just changed the lights Right, but I don't know if you've ever been driving in, in no, a no, it's, ambulance it's comes through. Yeah. It's and annoying. then it throws it's off everything, and you're stuck at that light now for another six minutes. 
as it resets. I, I, yeah, I'm not disputing that. It is definitely it, self. This is sounding like the. There's uh, a, a better reason for it, but. This is sounding like the uh, the hit cult 80s film Rage War, where the guy's built a, a computer in his watch that he can change the traffic lights as he's jogging through huh. at the start of the film. Uh, the actual premise of the film is that he ends up getting invaded by, like, an entity that puts him into a virtual world and forces him to fight for his, his fiance in different settings. I don't know why I'm so telling you all Tron? this. Shit, shit, Tron is what I was just going to say. Yeah. <laughs> he fights for the users? <laughs> it's, it's more like it's more like his computer's rebellion it's kind of AI. Uh, anyway, I don't know why I'm telling you all this. It's just he made me yeah, think of it with the traffic light thing. So so basically, the uh, she figures out that it has something to do with the banking that she's using these uh, floppy disks and other solid state digital storage um, to to basically throw the bank into chaos. So she gets there, stops Virus, who who has a different like. She's dressed as like a technician whose name is Pat Hogan, which becomes Pathogen. And I'm just like, okay, <laughs> this story is just silly. Uh, I, if it wasn't an annual, I'd pro- you know, it's whatever. But in something like this, I'm glad it's just a one-off, you know? Yeah. I, I am card. also glad this was not one of something. Yes. Yeah. And it's just, it's just, oh no, yep. we get something else next time. Yeah, it's just yep. 10 or 15 pages, whatever it is, and the the art and the colors and I like Savage a lot, um, so that all works. Like the layouts are fine, and I just the the story. Just I I'm reading it and I was just like, okay, this is why I kind of dropped Batgirl. Like we weren't as excited anymore. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to like this because I saw Savage's name right at the start and I was like, ooh, hello, and I enjoy the art a lot. But yeah, no, I can do it. Yeah. Uh, her name's kind of like you know how there's a running thing. This is like Tim that started this, but uh, we yeah. we often say garbage instead of garbage. Savage sounds like that to Savage. Uh, as, as a Clone Wars fan, it's really hard because there's Savage Opress. Opress, yeah. Uh, uh, which is Darth Maul's kind of brother. Brother. Um, not necessarily literal, but from the same like clan. They're from the uh, same clan, but for Cliff's Notes version, it's his brother. Yeah, yeah, that's all you need to know, yeah. really. Um, but it's spelt just savage, and it, it, it's like and oppressed. It, otherwise, it just sounds stupid. Yeah, it, it sounds stupid yeah. if you just say savage yeah. oppressed. I, I remember I had Ash look for me when those toys were coming out. I was like, "Hey, if they have a savage, bring it home for me." And she sent me a picture, and she goes, and she calls me. She goes, "Oh, you mean savage oppressed?" Is this the same one you're talking about? I was like, okay, yeah. Yeah. Uh, she still didn't buy it for me, and I'm still mad. I still bring it up when we get into fights. So. <laughs> She's like, you don't need it. I was like, you had it right there. Well, I, I, I did that Matt and, Matt and the wife are having like a, a very serious marital dispute over something very serious like money or their future or st- you know, you possible divorce. Creating right. this joke of a scenario, right? And then out of nowhere, in the middle of the fight about very real, serious issues that you know a couple will face, Matt will bring you up, and you didn't buy me that one, toy that one day. Hand a little bit closer. It's home, like man, you Matt. were there. It's like you were there. It's, it's. You never let me have any fun. I wanted that toy. Now I can't find it. 
That's why he's talking about. I feel neglected because you're watching hockey all the time, and it's really ruining the sanctimony of this marriage. You, you don't buy me, Savage. Uh, I don't even want to get it going on the amount of t-shirts I have that I have to get rid of now. So, you know, that was a conversation from last night when I got the Mark Stone shirt. They're <laughs> going, hey, they're stacking up again. So, into the donation bin. All right, you want to rate the Oracle story? <laughs> ah, I'm going to give this a 5.5. That's mainly just for the art. That's fair. We have the Outsider story next. Um... Which, if you remember last time, uh, Metamorpho yeah. was like the the tower. Uh, Which honestly is is my biggest thing from the stars. I struggle to remember last time. I, I remember enjoying it, oh. but I struggle to remember mm. the details of this more than any other story that, I've, especially <sighs> in this book. See, I I didn't, and I I kind of wish that we got a little bit more of a resolution there. But I I really like this chunk. Cause, so cause this this opens with Japan that same night, and I was like. Right, that same night as what exactly? <laughs> I remember no, pretty I... quickly. As soon as, soon as yeah. um, like, can see Metamorpho at the bottom of the page. And as soon as you turn and you get the two-page uh, layout where Jefferson's dragging him, I was like, oh yeah, it was the building, and like you know they're up against. Uh, I don't know if we knew last part that it was uh, the mother-in-law, effectively, you know, Katana's mother-in-law. No, and so and so that's where I'm trying to, you know, I wish so. I know Talking Superman, friend of the show, is a big Katana fan. So if he could let us know if this is all new stuff or if this is, you know, yeah. this is from her origin, For, it friend, really adds a layer to Katana. Friend of the show and world's biggest Superman for a quest for Peace Defender. Yes. True. He, he, I can't imagine there's much competition for that title. <laughs> no. No. Nuclear man. Not nuclear man. Mm-hmm. Nuclear man. Anyway. Hey, uh, people like what they like. So. Um, uh, anyway. <laughs> so. <laughs> I just, every time I make fun of him for on the show, I, I get a tweet somewhere during the week whenever he, <laughs> whenever he hears it. <laughs> and it, I enjoy it. Uh, so yeah, Katana's with, with her mother And basically the gist of this is that her mother-in-law is like, okay, my son's soul is no longer in the sword. And she basically suspects that the soul pissed off because Katana's got feelings for Jefferson. And mm-hmm. she's pissed about this. <laughs> you know. Now, I don't want to argue ancient um, Japanese magic with someone that apparently is a practitioner of ancient Japanese magic. Yes, and looks but, ancient. Yeah, we, we don't know if that's why. Maybe the soul has found, like, you know, I don't know much about Soul Taker, but, you know maybe it's you know his soul doesn't need to be in the sword anymore we, oh, we don't oh, know oh, oh you know hear me out maybe she's right yeah like uh, honestly i feel like that would be more interesting to me is that he hypothetically here is has made the choice to not be in the sword to like mm-hmm. like he, he's chosen to move on it's like hey you found someone new you don't need me anymore yeah uh, like, that's what no, I was not go- in a malicious way yeah that's what i was going to say maybe this is actually more of a the souls moved on to let her move on, kind of thing. Like, yeah, it's, it's more so of a positive a thing. thing. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, we'll see where they go with it. There's only one part left. I did like uh, the visual of Black Lightning using Metamorpho as like a, a moth-winged kind of <laughs> flying mm. device. <laughs> I like the, the the choice to be like, yeah, I was gonna say in, uh, butterfly, but moths. So yeah, you know, that, that's all wing as opposed to birds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. Uh, it was just a neat touch. 
Um, and you know, it, we're almost immediately we're at the cliffhanger where they're, they're fighting, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the mother-in-law's army because they're obviously they're coming for Katana. Mountain Morphle duplicates to take them on. Uh, and it's a, it's a nice page that last page where you've got the yeah the the symmetry of it's... like the the lightning coming from Black Lightning's kick to the fire coming from the other dude's kick, and it looks good. Mm-hmm. It it's is. very Street Fighter to me. Oh, I can see that. I can see that. I did think it ended a bit abruptly. Not necessarily this particular page, and there's a final last page. Just I felt all of a sudden, oh, I'm at the end now. I, I, think, felt, I didn't the, build up to the end. The first part did that as well. So I guess it's maybe just uh, the the flaw of this three part story is that it has, I assume the last part's going to feel a bit more final because it's the last one. But I would hope so. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, so like maybe they're like artificially having to split up a an issue that maybe they had it written or more or less in mind for like one mm. oversized issue like an annual yeah. size or whatever and they've kind of got to artificially add in these cliffhangers yeah it wouldn't, yeah, it wouldn't surprise because obviously the the first and last story are full-sized issues so that they effectively could have just been planned miniseries that became part of this book but it wouldn't surprise mm. me if a lot of the stuff in the middle stuff that we're getting is uh repackaged things that were maybe intended for other formats in some way at least yeah. for the first little while and then maybe they'll do specific stuff for it uh so like um if, if you listen to previously um me and pete have been reading justice league power rangers uh by tom taylor and mm-hmm. Stephen Burr, mm-hmm. and we were speculating that that may have been like just a, a straight to graphic novel originally because it has some really strange issue cut-off points yeah. where it's just like this is the end of the issue now yeah because mm-hmm. Usually, I mean, I, I I always want the covers to be there in the trades when I read things because I just I think it's good chapter breaks. It's, I, I like having yeah. the covers there also just for, you know, preserving the experience of seeing the cover because the covers are good usually, right? Um, and if they're not good, I want to see that they're not good. <laughs> I want to have that opinion. Um, but usually, even when they're not, you can usually kind of still tell roughly when you're at a final page. Uh, I was struggling. Like, when I was reading Just Sleep Power Rangers, I accidentally read like half of the next issue because I didn't realize that I'd ended the issue yet. Because uh, <laughs> I just didn't have that big final, you know. I think it was the end of issue three came about four pages after what you would think was the final page. Yeah, if you, if you were just reading it blind, yeah. It's, it, it was bizarre. And again, like the issues was you know, good. Still, you know, it's Tom Taylor and Stephen Byrne, what do you expect? But just weirdly paced in terms of single issues. Yeah. Uh... Yeah, yeah, there's not a whole lot to add about there. So there's thing, obviously the main beat is the the thing about the soul leaving the sword. But other than that, uh, just some fun. It's like- solid. Yeah, uh, one of the things I I appreciate about Katana is like I like the idea that we don't know if her husband's soul is actually in the sword or if that's just grief. It's, it's always been her belief, yeah. and that's kind right. Of had to go on. Right. So the fact like the mother-in-law shows up here and is a, it's almost like this thing where it, it's in fact in there, you know. So I hope there's a twist. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of hope there's a a twist on it. You know what I mean? Like, you know, I don't know. Um, It's just one of those things that can always be left up to the reader if it's there or not. Yeah. For me, the biggest problem with this story, beyond just me forgetting the first part a lot, which I am holding against a little bit because I don't with everything else we read. Um, Mm -hmm. I I did forget this more than anything else, uh, is the art, which is fine. Like, I don't get me wrong, I don't think the art's bad. It's perfectly acceptable. But coming off the Future State 2 issues we had of this, uh, or whatever it was part of in Future State, mm-hmm. uh, which was the same writer, but the art was just 
so much better. This kind of still feels like a bit of a step down. Uh, it's it, as part of the quote unquote same story. Mm. I, sure. I don't mind this art though. I, think I don't the mind art it. It's the uh. story, you know, but you know, if they were trying to tell the story they were telling in future state with this art, then yeah, but you know, uh, Max Dunbar, the art here, it's very cartoony in a good way. Like it's very, it reminds me of, of Bruce Tim style almost. It's why I don't want to say it's bad art because I don't think it is. Yeah. I just it, at least for me, feels like it's not as good mm. as what we had before. <clears throat> yeah, uh, but I mean that future state two parter like one like, you know had like it's effectively like Katana doing John Wick style sequences through entire buildings. Mm-hmm. So it was spectacular. Art, yeah, so the art was obviously very geared to be able to achieve that. Um, this it's just different. So, uh, but anywho, are we are we given the outsiders story, Matt? No, that's an uh, eight. I'm just going to give it a seven. Yeah, maybe just give it a seven, I think, as well. Yeah, that's good. Uh, and then the final story, of course, is the Grifter story. Uh, it gives us a sense of... We, we do have a flashback again, because we, we had the flashback last issue of uh, Grifter and his brother. Uh, and yeah. the, the super villains, Mr. Freeze was there, all that stuff. And we get a flashback to him waking up in the hospital, finding out his brother's dead. This is seemingly the first time he ever met Lucius. Yep. I'm not. I'm not sure. I'm a big fan of how much this ties his origin to Lucius and you know, Bruce I, Wayne in general. Hmm? I'm gonna say I don't. I disagree with that because I do like it because that now that makes him like, why would Lucius tr- trust this mercenary so much, hmm. right? And it's it's because he had a hand in creating him. You know, it's like. You know, I get that. I think for me, it just feels more like we have to. I, I can feel the editorial saying we need to integrate him into the DC universe better this time around. Right, but I and I'm fine with like the whole Halo thing coming out of Wayne Tech Enterprises. You know, mm-hmm. then then some whatever Wildstorm version it was. It, it very it takes a Wildstorm concept and makes it uniquely DC, and I'm okay with that. Yeah, I think you I know, actually just disagree with. Connor here, and uh, I like that it ties him more to DC yeah. continuity. I guess it makes you feel. That's fair. I'm not saying he needs to be like 100% separate. Yeah. This is the wild stuff. I don't, I don't have any attachment to that. Right. I just I could feel the editorial hand going. We need to, we need to try and do this better this time around, as opposed to when they tried in the new fifty two. Um, and I would fine. say as better. I can, I can be wrong. But yeah, I, I feel like they executed it better here. Just because I read that Team Seven book that they tried oh, to yeah, I mean, throw de- yeah, Deathstroke and Dinah and, <laughs> and 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 her husband, um, she, what was his name? Something Lance, and it was uh, it was ungood, huh? Mister Lance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, anyways, but Grifter was there too, and it's just like I don't know. But here, I I do like that. They saved him for whatever reason with this experimental technology, and now this is what's going to lead to him becoming Grifter. Uh, and so there's always like a he feels indebted to Lucius, hence why he goes and tracks down his son for him, you know, or he works as a bodyguard for him when he's asked. And yeah, it's just, it adds another layer. When we jump back to the present day stuff, obviously they're just hit by this, this garbage truck or whatever it is. And mm-hmm. that's a tanker. So that's like, I want to say it's a cement mixer. It's, a, it's so. like a cement truck. Yeah, it was yeah. like a cement mixer. Uh, but, you know, Grifter's like, stay in the car while I go deal with these assassins. And, you know, we get some action. 
there's an axe involved. It's, it's kind of fun. Uh, the art's it's, pretty uh, good. Because yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I think the, the, the guy's face when like he's swinging the axe, but he gets kind of like the gun fired in his face. Like I think there's yeah. a, a nice uh, expressive kind of just wacky action sort of vibe that it's going for that I like. Mm-hmm. Uh, my favorite thing in this whole section, though, is actually kind of these sort of little twists that, you know, an ambulance shows up after Lucius has already been put in an ambulance, and it turns out the first ambulance was a was a fake because it's just more assassins. And I think mm-hmm. when it cut from the realization from Grifter of that to Lucius, like, sort of realizing it and being tied in the, the stretcher uh, and mm-hmm. being, like, just yelling for help, like, I thought this was darkly kind of funny. Like, I, I got kind of a chuckle out of this little moment yeah. with him yelling uh, in the ambulance. And then obviously immediately... I need to read... I like as well, like, as he's yelling for help, the, the driver's looking around going, no one is coming to help you, and you can see Grifter in front of him. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Coming th- through the windshield. Yeah. Right there. And then he he launches it from the motorcycle. But I was going to say, uh, Rosenberg doing this, I need to go check out Hawkeye Freefall, just because it's I've heard it... Really good, and... Oh, Schmidt. Oh, Yes. Yeah, it it plays with the dark comedy a bit more with Clint. Like it's not mm. so much mm. Clint the loser that I, I love from uh the faction stuff. But this is Clint high functioning sociopath. Yes, and <laughs> and I feel it's Grifter. There's a lot of crossover there here. You know? Mm. So, yeah, not too far away. Like, like like Pete said with the it's darkly funny that they put him in a fake ambulance, you know? Uh in yeah. and he comes and just crashes I, through it. I, like, I, I, I think it's Wick style. I think it it speaks to what the, 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 the vibe and tone of the book is, is that it doesn't play it as a sort of dark thing where Lucius is really in danger. It plays it as a fun thing. We get to laugh at him sort of panicking a little bit because we know he's about yeah. to be saved. Uh, right. And it kind of makes it okay yeah, in that sense. you got the, the voice in his ear going, ooh, you effed up. And it's uh-huh. uh, with that emphasis as well, like on uh-huh. those words. And you can see that in the in the lettering. Um, uh, yeah, it's it, 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 played for laughs. It sets you, it, goes, it puts you into going into that page with that tone in mind. You, you, you don't go into it in a sense of worry. Uh, so, it, no, that's good. And he's at the hospital. Uh, there's a joke with him, like, taking all the painkillers immediately. Uh, don't do it at yeah, home, kids. Point. Take one every eight hours or whatever. <laughs> it takes the whole, like, just chugs the bottle. Yeah. Uh, Anything and, else? <laughs> yeah, so that, this woman shows up to, uh, to talk to him. Uh, mm-hmm. And... He kind of tries to flirt a little bit. There's a little bit of back and forth. Uh, and then it turns out she's actually kind of his boss. She she works for Lucius. Uh, right. And now Grifter kind of reports to her. Um, so we have this introduction. Uh, and she feels... Uh, what's her name here? Uh, Chance Adibi. Uh, her name's right at the end of the scene, which is why it took me a while to find it. Yep. <laughs> but... Uh, so it's just your character. Uh... I do actually. The, the, my favorite part of the scene, though, is where Lucius kind of comes in and sort of gets gives him shit for like being inappropriate because he's kind of flirting with her, and mm-hmm. Grifter tries to say, "Oh, hey, the doctor said I might be disorientated uh, from this." And then the next panel is just the doctor who we've not seen for a few panels. He's just been kind of in the background, and the doctor just looks over his shoulder and goes, "No, I didn't." <laughs> yeah, and he's like, "Come on, man! Whatever happened to attorney client privilege?" <laughs> But this is the thing. Like, I don't really care about Grifter, but Rosenberg is doing a really good job of just making me like this character as the star of like this action story that just happens to be taking place in Gotham. Yeah. So, like, I know, like, there's that saying that there's no bad characters, just bad <clears throat> writers, right? Like, but there's some characters I just won't ever really care about. However, I I gotta give DC credit here for like between Jason Todd and Grifter, two characters I was like. I'll check this out, but like I'm not gonna 
these are the two stories I, I'm coming back for. Well, right? You, like, this is the thing. What did they do? They gave it to Zarsky and uh, Rosenberg. That's mm-hmm. that's how they did this. They just gave it I to think, two good writers. I think it's interesting that this book is headlined. I don't want to say headlined because even though this is the last story, it's the bookends. They're the two full length issues, yeah. right? Uh-huh. Uh huh. So headlined by the two traditionally Marvel writers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it kind of feels like this is the this is the playground for those Marvel writers. And then we'll get some other stuff to fill out. I mean, I don't want to say it's a proving ground because I'm sure they know that these two can write, but it does kind of feel like a weird way that this could lead to them taking on more prominent work at DC in the future. Yeah. This is kind of their their you know, the proving ground. So. Yeah. Especially Zdarsky. And that is not to knock Rosenberg because I'm enjoying this. I really enjoyed um, Hawkeye Freefall. Uh, but... I'm not just saying this because it's another Archer, but I do from this story get the idea that Rosenberg would probably be quite good in a Green Arrow book. He has the same sort mm-hmm. of banter as yeah. Grifter here does, especially yeah. when we're in this final scene. I think uh, Ollie has a very similar banter style. I could see that. Uh, Zarsky, like any bad character, really. I mean, he's already doing a bad character, but like. Stars well, I mean, can write anything, and I will read it. They're giving him a Justice League book. Like, not a Which proper book. It's a there first, are but... reports based off of a certain site that I don't want to give too much credit mm-hmm. to. Yeah. That that is no longer digital first, and we will find out in the next lot of solicits. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's another one because we got. We spoke about a week or two ago, I think, of some other books that moved. Yeah. So, yeah. Intriguing. Yeah, maybe, Intriguing. maybe trouble a foot on the digital front, front thanks to some retailers. Yeah, yeah. so then Grifter meets up with uh, the Toy Man uh, in the rain. Mm-hmm. He's, he's got his trench coat on. It's all very shady. Uh, and bizarrely, you know, we are just talking about Red Hood's the other headlining story. Red Hood shows up in this uh, while they're having this meeting. Um, you know, it, you know uh, the mentions that he sucks, which I thought was amusing because you know Red Hood. You know, as much as I'm enjoying the main Red Hood story, my general it's so opinion. Fun. It's that's kind of our equivalent of Ackerman sucks. Yes, which is like that's the general populist one, right? Is yeah, like, talks to fish. Who cares? Well, Whereas I don't think any of us have that opinion about Ackerman, but Red Hood. Yeah, yeah Red Hood. Here's the difference, though. I don't remember the Zadarsky Red Hood carrying around the stupid crowbar. So I saw that here, and and it, and it triggered the bad feelings. <laughs> you know, just take away the crowbar, and that that's a cool scene with him, you know, standing there like like Batman almost. You know, the the lightning yeah. strike behind him. It's very um the uh, animated series opening, yeah. uh, especially you know the the long shot where they're looking up at him standing up on the building. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm picturing it from the opening titles, the animated series, um, where the where the lightning yeah. flashes. Yeah, I mean, uh, yep. he's not there for Grifter. He tells Grifter to just stay out of it. He's looking for Toy Man. Uh, but, of course, there's a, a fight takes place. There's a kerfuffle. Uh, but there's a comic, after all. There's a, there's a comic book. But uh, Nora Freeze is brought up uh, yeah. during That's this. That's favourite uh, cold villain. Yes. Because yeah. it got him to the eight. Two. Yes. Uh, but, basically... You know, like Grifter's like, I don't even know who that is. Who the hell's Nora Freeze? Because obviously he did meet her last issue. We saw that, but I, I do believe that he didn't know her name. I don't think that was right. it was ever properly introduced. So, like, you know, obviously we're setting up because that was the big cliffhanger last. That was a random cliffhanger last issue. Was that? Oh, Nora Freeze has turned up dead. <laughs> okay, uh, and Mister Freeze is just getting groceries. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's funny. 
Anyway, uh, so the last page of this is that uh, Red Hood wakes up after this uh, fight because he gets knocked out. Uh, Toy Man's lying there with a bullet hole in his chest, so he's dead. And there's a uh, post-it note stuck on Red Hood's uh, face that says, Borrowed your gun plus $100, returned the gun, kept the money. XOXO, XO. Superman. Superman, Superman signed it. <laughs> you gotta say that. I read this at work and I started laughing like a maniac. And someone asked me why I was laughing. I'm like, I can't explain it. <laughs> but it was that that image right there. Yeah. So obviously there's a bit of a mystery as to who actually shot Toy Man, right? Because that, that's not something that we see in the scene. Is it? We're assuming it's not Grifter. Yes. Yes. Uh, and we're also assuming it's not Superman, despite what the note says. And I think we, 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 we should also assume it's not Red Hood. Yeah. We can't be sure of that. Yes. Um... But I know I got to the end of this this issue. I, was, I got to this page and I was like, "Man, so they're turning Superman dark. He's he's like stealing money and like shooting people in the the chest and, and borrowing guns." I know. Maybe it's John Kent. Times have gotten rough. Times have gotten rough in the uh, the House of L. <laughs> no, it's, it's Henry Cavill Superman. 100%. <laughs> Funding the Snyder Cut broken. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that was a, a fun story. Like you know, uh, the, the Grifter story is proving to be entertaining, and I'm enjoying mm-hmm. it. And it's this one of the, the two main selling points of of getting this anthology right now. Um. So I'd say, given the price, is is fine. There are, there are two full length stories that I enjoy, which gets yeah. me my equivalent in dollars to, to buying just two issues. And then yeah. the extra bits, I either enjoy them or I don't. It kind of doesn't matter at that point. It's just their kind of extra fluff. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, as long as those two full-sized stories uh, keep delivering, um, and yeah, there'll be no much reason to complain. Uh, Matt, what are you giving Urban Legends a shoot? Well, actually, what are you giving the Red Hood story? Or, sorry, the Grifter uh, story. The Red Hood is... Uh, or Red Hood. The <laughs> Grifter issue. And uh, 8.5. Okay, go on. I'll agree with the 8.5. No, I'll just go with straight 8. That's really good. Uh, so, uh, Arbor Legends 2 as a whole, Matt. Uh, I'm going to give it an 8, despite the Batgirl story. Because I, I did like the... I did like the art, but the story itself was so weird. But the, the, the other three stories are really, really good. So, you know, again, like you guys said, it's hard to be mad at the price point. But, you know... Um, Checking out of the comic book shop, like I can be mad at myself, you know. Yeah. Uh, Car. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm not. I'm not too mad at the price point because if this was a separate Red Hood book and a separate Grifter book, I'd have bought both mm-hmm. of those anyway, based on this right. particular quality, not just in general. Um, but these particular stories, I would have done. Yeah, um, you would have tried them no matter what because of the writers that were involved. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because there was talent attached that I liked. Uh, overall, I'm gonna give this issue an eight because. Uh, I, uh, I think the Outsiders one drags it down a little bit for me. Grifter's pretty high here, so yeah, pray around that. Yeah, I'm giving it an 8 too. Uh, obviously, the Oracle one was a DOA for me, but uh, really liked the first and last. Outsiders are solid and fun, so but it's, yeah, it's hard to follow. I mean, it's funny, there was always a risk when they announced like an $8 like, recurring book like this, but uh, it having two full comic book sized issues inside that were both really solid consistently is proving to be 
if like when uh, well, Edge runs first, then Grift ends first. Yeah. If if it's replaced by something that's not good, well, maybe even not good, but just that we don't like, that makes this book a lot tougher of a of a prospect. You're time. relying on those middle two stories to, uh, yeah, keep it up a lot. Yeah. But, yeah. All right. Rorschach issue seven. Tom King and Jorge Fornes on the art. Uh, or how the kid and the 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 old man, how they got the idea to try and kill Turley, and what a story it is. This one got so weird. I like look. This is usually my favorite book the week it comes out. Uh-huh. I'm still process processing my feelings on it because I read it this morning. Um, it's always the last thing I read, but I, I you know I had a busy week. Um, so I read it when I woke up this morning, which maybe was a mistake. Um, but yeah, I was not ready for the direction this was going in. Yeah, so we had last issue with the uh, investigator coming to this house where the letters came from that they were dropped off. Um, and someone dressed in a Rorschach mask opens the door, and that's where we start here. Uh, mm-hmm. And Officer Benetti makes one, Matt. Uh, and he comes in. Pacing's very good, and they are here as well. And he starts, like, you know, talking to him, saying it's not his letters, and he describes, you know, what brought him here, how he met Myerson the first time. Uh, we see he's got, like, a like a pirate painting, like, on his wall. All these things. Um, and... He tells this story. So, the, the guy who lived here, this was a, a comic book writer. Mm-hmm. Who did other stories and was friends with Myerson and talks about how after he stopped being a copywriter, he became someone who was kind of obsessed with the UFOs and stuff like that and deciphering things and conspiracies and, and whatnot. And basically says that he believed he could hear, was it his daughter, I think? Um, yeah. So he believed that he could hear and communicate with the dead. Almost like a seance, but instead, a bit more of like a technology style version of it where... Yeah, so so this is a real thing. So we, we watch enough guff, guff, ghost shows and stuff, <laughs> and I listen to enough paranormal. The EVP is a thing people do, and it never works for me. Like, I never hear what they claim to be listening to, but, like, this is a thing that, that people do use. Um, but you're right, it is like an electronic seance, and I guess that's the best... Best way to think about it. Yeah, I mean, to, to put it simple, it's like an old-style tape recorder. Uh, you know, you, pr- you press record, you ask uh, the potential spirit a question, and you just let them, you know, give them some time to answer, and then you listen back to the tape, which, and it's just, you know, it's just white noise, uh, but people will claim possibly to hear something in there. And this, you know, this writer invited the character because we, we don't know who this character in the mask is we see him as a young man here mm-hmm. but it's very intentionally not told to us yet who this is right and he's here as a young man before he's done anything in his life uh, we find out later of course that he became a comic book uh, writer himself and he uh, had one big book uh, you know sometime later but he's here he's been invited along with uh, Myerson who at this time is maybe more middle aged than an old man and yeah. they're here for this, and they you know, they have this kind of you know seance style thing, where this guy's saying, "Hey, this this is happening. Like, you know, I can speak to my daughter," and 
they kind of dismiss it a little bit, you know, like they, they think he's a little bit crazy as they're leaving. And this young man, whoever he is, whoever this guy is in the Rorschach mask, says that, you know, he never really seen him that much again. He, he he sent him a letter after his own comic book came out asking for his thoughts, but he didn't seem to like it very much. And that was kind of the extent of their interaction until one right. day when he showed up at the door uh, dressed as Rorschach with the kid, with Laura. And we see what this guy looks like now. Presumably he's got like a, a white beard, he's got a bald head, and he invites them in and you know, they're at first he's scared, he's like, Oh, you're gonna kill me. Like, no, we're not gonna kill you, but we like a hot drink yeah. kind of thing. Um It's it's raining, we should say too. It's like raining, it's... yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. And they come in and they want to use this tape recorder again. You know, Myerson's remembered this. He wants to do this and he wants to listen to the static. And then this is where it gets a little bit crazy because he, he mentions that he believes that Dr. Manhattan, like whatever was heard that day, was actually Dr. Manhattan sending a message back through time to be heard on this tape recorder. Yeah. So... <laughs> each, listen- each person, as they tell the story, hears something different, right? Yes. Which speaks to the power of suggestion in the mind and, uh, and all that stuff. And I love these. So at pa- this point in the story, I don't know exactly what to believe. Yeah, I, and I love this this page for the record. I love, you know Manhattan. Like he's on. This is obviously just that his version of events. But he's telling yeah. Manhattan's on Mars and he holds up his arm and he fires a beam and we yeah. see the beam sort of go to the Earth and then like land in the house and into the tape recorder on the day that they did this years ago. Right. Um. And the idea is, is that. Over the years, Myerson's been listening to this, and over time and time, because uh, we see him sort of age. Like there's like a series of panels where he's listening to the static, and I, I, I will say I'm a little mad at this book because it was making me look at these like letters representing the static to see if I could see anything like in the text. Me, like, me too. I was like, is there any hidden messages in there? Can I, can yeah. I make out any words? And yeah, and then. Marcy says that Will is the mask, and this is my face. Very, very Batman-esque, you know. Bruce mm-hmm. Wayne is the mask. This is you know, kind of thing. Um. So you know, this this man, you know, clicks the the tape. They record. They listen. They 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 play it back. Um. And he explains that you know once the the assassination attempt happened, you know he he sought out who was investigating. He went to the apartment where Myerson lived. He found out that this investigator was there. He found him at the hotel, left the letters to sort of open a line of dialogue. And so we don't know why he's in a Rorschach mask, right? This is the thing. Nope. In the entire backstory, there's not really anything building to him being dressed like Rorschach. But he talks about how he put his book out in 1985. And one of the, some of the things that he's talking about here is that his book was a very serious take on pirates. So, and you know, we've, we've t- talked about, whenever you talk about Watchmen, you talk about how the pirates are kind of this world's version of superheroes. They're, they're, they're right. very popular. And he talks about how, oh, when I was a kid, I loved Pontius Pirate. But when I grew up, I wanted to do my own more realistic, dark, not silly version. Right. And he's talking about that. And it, it came out, and then it was only, what, days, weeks later that the squid, the New York squid attack happened. Because that's the, that's the other thing, is that when he's talking about Manhattan and he's talking about... Mm-hmm. um everything they're under the belief still that the squid was a real thing and they don't know what came from manhattan himself from ozymandias yes or from ozymandias sorry yes yes yeah uh, yeah because they say here that when you go back to the those is that 
We never understood the power of the squid. Why did yeah. the squid succeed? Why did Manhattan stop them? The answer was simple. Answer was simple. He couldn't. They were more powerful yeah. than he even was. Can you imagine? So, and, so, and again, that 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 ties into their fear of the squids coming back. The whole uh-huh. series and all that, right? So you've got this this guy talking about how he released this comic book in the eighties. There was a serious version of the fun pirate characters that existed for so long. And then he regretted it because the whole point of the, the pirates was to inspire children and to see things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you're, you're getting all this. And then, of course, you finally... I mean, maybe it's actually before this you get the name. It is. You, yeah. you, you've been holding it from, from the viewers I've, and listeners. I, I've been holding it because yeah. out of nowhere in the middle of this issue, they mentioned that this comic book writer is named Frank Miller. And I nearly I was like, wait, what? And it is Frank Miller. Like you know it, you, when you uh when you guys kind of teased this yeah, at the yeah. start of the show, I was like, I just need to go and read what the hell happened in this issue. Yes. So I, I read the cliff notes of this Frank Miller bit right. and I'm like, what the shit? Yeah. hundred <laughs> yeah, percent. Like, I don't know if that's me missing context because I read the cliff notes. No, because it's just what the shit. No, 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 no. Because it... they, they go to him and well, it's what, it, uh, it, it's what the shit in the terms that it's Frank Miller. Everything yeah. that the story is doing, though, makes complete sense and thematically fits into the context of everything that's going yes. on. Yes. Uh, it's just instead of like having a fake thing, they just said, you know what, we're just going to actually call him. Because clearly this pirate book he made was the pirate version of Dark Knight Returns. That's what they're talking about. Right. Because it was called the Dark Fight, the Dark Fight Returns. Yes. And that... He, he was a, a flute-playing pirate, and that was his whole thing, and he darkened him up, and it became a huge hit. And and when you look at the the painting on his wall, it's essentially the Dark Knight Returns vibe. Where'd it go? Damn it. Um, uh, it's earlier in the issue. Um, it's earlier in the issue, yeah. It's It's got the lightning strike with the with the pirate standing on the one side with, with you know, a field of dead bad pirates, you would assume. Um and so there's all this stuff, right? Um, but then I started looking up the auto uh, binder stuff too, because they talk about Captain Marvel. Mm-hmm. So which means that the the concept of Captain Marvel lived in the world of Watchmen before, right? And that that auto binder. So this stuff that that King puts in here, I, I don't know about the you know the EVP seances and stuff, all that. But um, yeah, Binder did lose his daughter to a car accident, mm. and it kind of broke him, and and that was the end of things. So the fact that King's going back and and adding real life stuff into this Watchmen book, sequel book, you could say, that's that's he's almost breaking down comic history through the concept of breaking down comic history. And yeah, I mean, Watchmen was always you know that's. Yeah you know, take on superheroes and mm-hmm. uh, comic books to a point anyway. So it's, it's very sort of in theme to do that. Uh, the, the the big thing, I guess the one thing that explains why Frank Miller is now wearing a Rorschach mask mm-hmm. uh, in this like present day part of the book is, you know, when, at the end of the, the issue, he plays the tape for the in- investigator. And now he's saying, you can hear it right, clear as day, God talking. And, you know, the final panel is him saying, it says, you know, kill Turley. So... And I, God, Alan Moore. And to me, <laughs> and to me, what all this was is that this a lot of this book has been about how conspiracies form, 
how people mm-hmm. who like need to fixate on something kind of form those ideas and then spread them and believe mm-hmm. in them so devoutly. And this is showing to me that, you know, the, the kid and Meyerson kind of like fed into each other and it kind of spread to Frank Miller where after all this, he's starting to really buy into this too. And I'm obviously I'm talking about the character Frank Miller and this mm-hmm. not actual Frank Miller, although, I mean, maybe he's crazy. I have no idea. But well, there, there, record, there are some not I so good things. That, I do know that King is actually fairly good friends with, with Frank Miller. Yeah. Oh, so this I, will not be like a shock to him to find himself. I, yeah, in I have no like doubt that. that this was cleared with Miller before they put this in here. Mm-hmm. No doubt. Even if it, even if whatever it does with him is theoretically damning to him, I'm sure it was done with his blessing. Yeah, I I think you have um because you know as is worth mentioning you know, when we talk about the revolution of comic books in the eighties and like things getting more dark and more nuanced. You know, Watchmen and Dark Knight Returns, the two things that always come up. So to sort of involve a Frank Miller, I mean, I, 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 you had no chance to get Alan Moore's permission. Yeah. Well, I'd, I'd say allegory, but I mean, is that an allegory at this but, point when he's just called Frank Miller? <laughs> no, but but, but it kind of is because he uses. And I don't know if Miller has said this though, where he says that he feels like Dark Knight Return, well, Dark Fife Returns, was almost a mistake because then it perverted the idea of what the pirates were. Right, that they were mm. meant to to create this this hope and aspirational aspect for for kids, you know. Yeah, ba- uh, yeah. Basically, and, what you said is he regrets that it's influenced comic books in the way it has because now everything's right. trying to be this darker thing. I, and, I wouldn't be surprised if he does feel that way. In fact, I'm just I'm pretty sure yeah. Alan Moore feels that way in, in the things yeah. that he has said when he used to speak. Well, Alan Moore just doesn't, and I don't want to piss off the Dark Wizard. So if this gets to him, I'm not. Being disrespectful, right? But I just feel like Alan Moore just is upset about the world, right? Like he is sick of being asked the same questions over and over. And I and I get it, you know. But at the same time, he you can't say that modern comics exist partially due to him. Like he dragged them into that era with his Swamp Thing and and even his DC work before Watchmen, mm-hmm. you know. So, and and even his Superman stuff, though, wasn't like this dark, grim, gritty deconstruction. They were just really good Superman stories. You know, his yeah. Green Lantern, too. So, like... No, I mean, I think this is a case where these, these writers know exactly what they were doing. And it's a, a, a case we get with every medium, it's a, to a certain extent, where their voices and what they did are so important in dragging the quality of writing and the way that we tell stories forward in the industry... But as with everything like that and with its success, a lot of the industry take the lo- the wrong lessons as to why these things worked and why they were successful. Do you think Moore has ever stood there and gone, I am become death? I think so. <laughs> I think he I says think it he's every morning. I think he says that himself in the mirror every morning when he gets up. Yeah. Before he's and pancakes. If not, his beard definitely does. <laughs> um I think he gets up, he looks in the mirror, he says that, he sacrifices his morning goat, and then he has his pancakes. That's his, that's yeah. his morning routine. I've got like a, a weird thing that, I don't know if this is true, but for some reason I feel like I've read he's vegan. So maybe he oh, doesn't maybe. sacrifice goats. Maybe he, I don't know, sacrifices a plant-based alternative. A, a shrub. Yeah. I mean, it's just about the sacrifice, right? You're giving something up yeah. to, to a, a, a being greater than yourself. You is know? there a being greater than Alan Moore? I know. Uh... Gary some Busey. people's eyes, Grant Morrison, but I'm not getting there. <laughs> oh, oh, you have inflamed the jewel. Yeah. 
So, um, I, I, I am, I am, I am neutral in this. There's I enjoy the works of both. There, there so. is going to be storms in the skies of England tonight, thanks to that yeah. comment. <laughs> I, I apologize in advance. Well, to get, you... to get us back Just... on the comic itself. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I think this is a. It's further playing with the ideas of how these ideas spread and, uh, you know, conspiracies and belief and this idea that we all hear something different and they're just listening to static, which, as far as we can tell, has nothing. Now, it is a comic book, so it could turn out there is something really there, but it doesn't seem like there is right now. No, it's, it's basically whatever they want it to be, right? Like, yeah. for, for Otto uh, Binder, it was the voice of his dead daughter, right? And and now for, for all these other people, it's basically what the kid wanted to hear and what Meyerson wanted to hear, you know. And I still expect there to be some kind of twist. I suppose yeah. the the one interesting thing is that Meyerson, the kid, and now Miller all seem to hear the same thing on it, which maybe that's saying something about like-minded people and like how right. ideas spread. As you know, because right. it's in the same way that he's now dressed as Rorschach, like this, right. this is literally spread to someone else. Right. Yeah, it's it, again. It was a doozy because you know just just with King and I was thinking about King's backlog of of stuff of of deconstruction and you almost feel like that's kind of his his take too of whatever Frank Miller's saying of of the deconstruction is kind of taking this aspirational thing. So when you look about his his Superman, which was what up in the sky. It it is all of that. It is about the idea of Superman being aspirational, and and going through the impossible, uh, to, to basically save this little girl. And, and maybe you know that's I don't know if it's getting super meta in this sense, but you know again the idea of spreading of the idea is like is the idea of Rorschach spreading here or the mm-hmm. the paranoia of Rorschach and that mission. Right. Is that in some way representing this infection of comic books by we all have to be dark and serious now and we can't right. have well, the more hopeful versions of things? I, and I've had this since since the, you know, cut came out earlier in the month or, or last <laughs> month. I, time has no meaning at this point. Um, but when that came out and, and then the stuff that's going on with Falcon and Winter Soldier. I, I don't Walker, think I have ever been sure of anything in my life. Because I don't think he's ever publicly said anything because he's been like, yeah. you know, hiding you know, longer than this. Right. But I have never been sure that anything in my life that Alan Moore hates everything Zack Snyder's directed. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> oh, he 100%. Yeah. And if anything, I would say, um, again, I, we're using Frank Miller in this comic mm-hmm. in particular. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think it's fair to say this is echoing the assumption of Moore's thoughts as well, mm-hmm. if not outright what he's said in interviews in the past. Right. I think Snyder and his interpretation is the exact evil that, that they hate. It's almost mm-hmm. the most. Po- it's the most potent. It's the most concentrated version of what they hate. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's far from the only. Like, problem. Yeah. It's far from the only example, but it is the, if not the most potent, it's the the most widely known. Right. Yes. Right. And, and that's all thing where I look about like what what kind of forecast was was Tom King looking at where this was going to come out right at the time where this is <laughs> kind of in the discussion in in pop culture right now, you know, because you got the boys, uh, you have the Snyder Cut, you have other things going on. Like, 
I think we've it's been building this for quite a few years now, to be fair. Yeah. 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 But like he looked at that and went, Hey, we're we're gonna pull this off in this story, you know. Uh yeah, I, I didn't mean that to to put King Dan. I think that's yeah, no. that, that isn't a problem for him to have seen the trend and gone, right, I'm gonna write right. a story with that. More just right. I don't think he was like a super wizard telling the future. I think he right. looked at where things were going and, and kind of yeah. now it just seems more because there's more of it. And there's, there's a, the page where the, the regret really comes in. It's, it's over pages of Pontius. Uh, it's just sort of like it's, it's close up on black and then it pulls out and it's his eye and it keeps pulling out. But it's like one of the old Pontius comics. But basically, it's, it's where Miller's describing how a few, you know, a few weeks or a few months after his, his book came out that was praised, um, the squid thing happened. And yep. There was like footage in the news of all these bodies lying around with blood, and it's very you know the way he describes sounds like the painting we see in his wall earlier on. Right, and it, it basically sounds like, and it's not so much that he feels responsible. It's not, it's not like uh, this was inspired by his comic, but more the point that maybe superhero comics shouldn't reflect the darkness of the real world because that's not, or in this case, pirate actually superhero because that's I'm thinking of the real stuff. But right, you know, maybe the the pirate comic shouldn't reflect the darkness and the misery of the real world, because the point is to believe in hope and believe in something better. Uh, so, despite how dark this story is about these, like, crazy people who are trying to assassinate someone and the, the psychosis that gets them to that point, there's a weird, hopeful kind of message <laughs> in, the, in the middle of all of it kind of emerging, which is mm-hmm. a very impressive. Uh, so... I think this 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 issue, especially with, with how we feel. I mean, I'm okay with dark versions of a lot of superheroes. I'm okay with a lot of the the heavier takes yeah. and things. And and Tom King himself writes a lot of the heavier takes in some of these characters. Right. Um, but there's definitely a, a thing we have an issue with. I think as a group of fans, where we we recognise where they ha- they insist in doing characters certain ways now because they they don't see the old ways as working. Um. And they want to be more popular, or grittier, or edgier, and it comes off a certain way. And I think this issue is almost like tailor-made for our sensibilities and, and what for it's sure. poking well, at. And I brought up Auto Binder with the Shazam stuff too, because when you think about Shazam, and that's all about a hopeful kid, mm-hmm. right? And it's like you know, it stands out in the world of superheroes even still. You know, nowadays, but you know, you look back in the 50s, 60s, like it was not selling Superman at certain points. That's why DC bought up lots of comics. Uh, so, and you know, he, I don't know if that was before or after, but you know, he did the Captain Marvel stuff. They bring it up here. So, you know, uh, yeah, there's just a, there's a whole lot here that I was not, <laughs> I was not expecting. Yeah, I was reminded this week of the the Grant Morrison quote where he talks about how if you uh, if you show a kid a cartoon with singing crabs in it, the kid doesn't question. They know it's not real. They know crabs don't really sing, but they don't question why crabs are singing. But if you give an adult a work of fiction, they start questioning every little goddamn detail and why it works. It's like, it doesn't matter. It's not real. This the story has a point. It doesn't this have is, to uh, work. And this was know, in rules. his. Um, it was in his Super Gods book, uh, and when yeah. I was rereading it last year. I actually took a picture of that page, I believe, and posted it on Twitter. It's like, God mm-hmm. damn it. Like, why can people not get this? Yeah. It, it's so frustrating. Um, also, I should read the Super Gods book. It's so good. But, yes. So, 
Uh, this was a phenomenal issue that prodded mm-hmm. things. It made the mystery intriguing as well, but it, you know, in the delusion of believing Manhattan sent a message, <laughs> like to, you know, do this. I don't know. Everything about it is just so wild and. But then you add in all this meta stuff, the comic book industry, the critique of superheroes and how they're portrayed now, and maybe the regret of like what the darkness has caused. But at the same time, I don't think any of us look at Watchmen or Dark Knight Returns in year one and say, oh, we wish they didn't exist because they're also still some of the best stuff that's ever been written. And there's a lot of good things that have came from them in the way it advanced the industry. But there's so many things that have altered for the worse because of how people say, now, oh, but now we don't want to do lighter stories do i do more it's, fun it's the sort stories. thing that is not exclusive to this medium it happens in all creative endeavors i, I talk about uh, blair witch as, as an example all the time mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. that for a long time i, I kind of despised blair witch because of what it led to with the the boom of these cheap found footage, footage movies because mm-hmm. because they were cheap to make anyone could do it and everyone did and most of them were terrible but that's not blair witch's fault it was still good yeah. And it's the same way here where it's not Frank Miller's fault. It's not Alan Moore's fault that the rest of the industry misunderstood. But, you know, they, they still made good works of art and should be applauded for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Although that Blair Witch comparison, it, it always rubs me slightly wrong because it really didn't start until after Paranormal Activity, all these cheap found footage movies. I mean, the, yeah, because the fact that Blair Witch 2 was distinctively not yeah found footage because if you look at if you look at because that came out the first one came out in 98 if you look at 99 through 2007 there's i don't know there's a lot of found footage in that time period uh it's after parallel activity that all of the found footage like and Mm -hmm. you know i'm not to say i'm saying i'm an expert but doing streams after midnight me and tim have suffered a lot of those found footage movies so (laughs) they're ingrained in my head where they came from (laughs) the reason i'm giving blur witch the credit is it's better (laughs) because <laughs> <laughs> i mean look, oh it is i mean it is me and you on, on previously we just did uh i mean i say just you know relatively speaking recently in the scheme of batman comics we did year one and right afterwards it jumps back to normal like nothing's changed there is a a pretty hefty lag period between That's these true. seminal works and then the rest of the industry catching up. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, especially in the case of comic books, it's not like the writer who's doing the next issue of Batman. He, I mean, they're probably writing that at the same time Miller's writing year one. They have no idea. I mean, maybe they have like a vague story because the editor said, oh, this is where Batman is going or whatever, but they don't know what the impact's going to be. For a large part, those oh, what, what, uh, late 80s comics or mid to late 80s Batman comics, a lot of them are indistinguishable in terms of its presentation from early 70s comics. Yeah. Yeah. Is this the 90s where things really start to shift? Yeah. But there's a, there's a good lag period. But that's just the time of inspiration and the time of influence to really play. Dang. I, I wanted to prove Pete wrong, but he's, he's absolutely right. I mean, they got found footage... There's not a lot, and then no, he is, which, is why which is why I defended yeah. him via a different route of of kind of there's a yes. lag period. <laughs> well, the, the only reason I dispute that in terms of the movies is that found footage movies are notoriously quick and cheap to make. So yes, I would right. I would suggest that the financial success of productivity is what forced everyone to go. We can do this quick and cheap because yeah, that that is fair. 
The the yeah. turnaround in them is pretty quick. So <laughs> a matter of weeks in most cases. <laughs> uh, I mean, just look at uh, kind of found footage. I mean, the, the laptop screen is just a, a, a subgenre of found footage. Yeah, I mean, look, look, yeah, look at look at host uh, last last year. That was a movie that was set in the pandemic that came out in like what it was like May June. And it was already yeah. like it was entirely shot in the pandemic and pandemic, you know, yep. as far as the quarantine goes, started in March. So that gives you and, an and idea. And they stayed quarantined while they did it too. So yeah. like the director yeah. even directed because it started because uh, Pete had me watch that one, and it started off of something that he had done as a as a joke to mess with his friends on Zoom, um, and then they made a movie out of it. So like, yeah, uh, but it's just you know. Uh, but I mean, regardless, just to get back to Rorschach to wrap wrap, mm-hmm. wrap this up, um, it's a wonderful issue, and I, I think it pokes a lot of mm-hmm. things. And I think this is my favorite current Tom King book, and I know that's saying a lot because Strange Adventures is great, mm-hmm. but I think this is taking the top spot. Uh, every time we talk about it, I end up liking it more than when I read it, and I like it a lot when I'm reading it. I do that mm-hmm. with most Tom King books, I think. Yeah. Uh, or, or alternatively, I like them less. If in the case of Heroes in Crisis, sure. Well, I mean, that was... we don't talk about that. That's an outlier. That that it is, is, it uh, is. That's an outlier. Uh, we don't talk about that one. Matt, what are you rating Rorschach seven? Uh, I'm gonna give this a nine. I'm gonna go nine point five. There you go. So there you go. There you go. Uh, so that'll take us out of the part of the show that we do our, our picks of the week. So we do a favorite panel slash moment, favorite art, favorite cover and the top five books. So, uh, Matt, what was your panel slash moment of the week? Uh, it's something from Rorschach. It's when Frank Miller shows up. Because <laughs> I really went, wait, what? <laughs> Very good, Connor. That is fair. I, get, I mean, <laughs> having not read the book, I, I did see those panels when I skimmed earlier uh, the article. But I, I get that reaction. Um, I imagine going from Superman. My pick, it's it's the, the final page. It's the, the panel where it kind of reveals that, no, that's not what he said. He said this. And it kind of timed back into these this linguistic route, and it kind of paying off this almost offhand sentence earlier in the issue. Uh, I really appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, I think I'm also tempted to go with Rorschach, but I think I'm actually going to go with Urban Legend. I'm going to take Lucius yelling for help in the ambulance with uh, Grifter coming towards it as the driver yells there's no help coming uh there's just a, a lot going on in that that was making me laugh so i'll give, give points for something a little bit different this week uh favorite cover i will kick us off uh, i know you guys are going to gush about the wonder woman cover the variant that is which is good yeah, uh, i haven't I even looked yet i don't dispute it uh yeah, superman, superman variant is also good but uh for me it is between the main Rorschach cover which is like a tape recorder with the eyes where the you know the tape spindles usually nice, are actually. Um, and I also really like, surprise, surprise, the Matina variant for Urban Legends, which is a uh, half Grifter, half Red Hood, but it's that you know beautiful painted Matina style. Uh, very nice. Uh, I think I'm going to go with Rorschach for the overall idea of what the cover is, because it's just a bit more distinct. But uh, yeah, some good covers though this week. Uh, we go, Mark Connor. I'm just looking. I'm, I'm. I literally haven't even clicked on the full window on one. I can just see the little thumbnail. I'm like, that's a Middleton one. Uh, yes. I'm just seeing if anything can even compete with a Middleton Wonder Woman. And uh, no, they can't. It's it's Middleton Wonder Woman. Oh, okay, Matt. Middleton Wonder Woman. <laughs> All right. 
There you go. Easy peasy. All right. Uh, best art of the week, Connor. Uh, I'm going to go with Wonder Woman, actually. Uh, I, I think Travis Moore is doing a wonderful job. Matt? Uh, that's good. Wonder Woman's Travis Moore's good. Uh, I wanted to shout out Ryan Benjamin's Grifter. I like the art in that one a lot, but it's Fornis and Rorschach because it is so understated. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not like these big, huge, you know, like we've had these big moments before in the book, but this one is just like, like Pete said, there's a flow to those first couple pages that are very cinematic. Does, yeah. It's does, just... uh, does Fornis do his colors or is it, uh, for some reason, I feel like it might be Dave Stewart. I don't know if okay, I'm just wondering because I because I, no. I think Fornes's coloring work is very distinctive, and I don't know if it's him or if it's someone else. Um, yeah, there's that pacing at the start. See when he's like walking into the house, like mm-hmm. there's just like, these panels of him like walking in and like going past, and then he's out of frame essentially. Yeah. It, there's just there's a pacing to the art in that book, which is yeah. wonderful. Uh, same again Connor... when uh when when the you know when uh, the 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 writer's listening to the or sorry when uh Will is listening to the tape and he's growing older panel to panel. But he's listening to the static mm-hmm. throughout the years. Like again, pacing is just exceptional. Um, Connor is correct. Dave Stewart does do the colors. I thought so. Dave Stewart's colors are very distinctive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's great. Yeah, uh, obviously very famous for most of the Hellboy work. All right, Car- uh, uh, someone's here. <laughs> Matt, what's your top uh, five books? Write in the books. Uh, one is going to be Rorschach. Two is Wonder Woman. Three is Urban Legends. Four is Superman. Five is Batman Detective, which pains me just because uh, I don't, I don't want to put a Tom King book in at five, but... A Tom King book, you say? Uh... I mean, uh, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> I did it. A Tom Taylor book. Uh, Connor? Uh, Wonder Woman, Superman, Batman the Detective, Batman Urban Legends. I am going to have Rorschach at number one, obviously. Um, I think then Batman Urban Legends, then Superman, then Batman the Detective, and not surprising that Wonder Woman's my last place uh, on the list. Uh, and is cut from the the pool. Ta-ta. For shame. I'll tell you what's coming next week from DC Comics, though. Let's see. We got the Flash 769, so we'll see how that Wally story uh, continues. Uh, we got Nightwing 79, uh, so that's the most anticipated book, obviously. Uh, we have Justice League issue 60. We have Catwoman issue 30. Uh, that's also pretty anticipated. Uh, yeah. Superman Red and Blue issue 2 is out. Batman v. Razagul issue 6 is coming out. Uh, that's been going for like two years or something. Uh- that's a thing. Yeah. Uh, Batman Fortnite Zero Point Issue 1. Uh, good luck to anyone who wants to read that. Uh, Tristan Justice Issue 3 is out. And then, of course, Scooby-Doo, Where Are You? 109. Because DC will keep p- pumping those out forever. Uh, would so either in... of you like to guess when the first issue of Batman vs. Ra's al Ghul came? Oh. Uh, 2017. I'm going to guess... That. I've got a date here. I'm going to guess it was in the spring... No. I'll say the autumn of 2019. Okay, I'll, Matt? I'll say April 2017. Uh, okay, Pete is a lot closer. <laughs> uh, it is September 2019. Damn. Wait, am I right? I'm right then. That is all, yes. Yeah, oh, you I'm right. right. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> you look so confused. <laughs> so, uh, about Batman and Fortnite, right? Not, not that any of us are going to read it. Um... <laughs> But I think it's interesting that I saw in the ad 
when I was reading this week that uh, if, if you're a kid that plays Fortnite, they've incentivized you to get all six issues if you want a special they give code, you a code uh, skins. Yeah. 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 Which I'm like, that's What's... actually pretty genius on their part. Interesting as well is because um, the original plans for this was it was being published internationally first mm -hmm. uh, digitally and then coming to the US later. And it wasn't going to be print. It was going to go straight to digital on the uh, on DC Universe Infinite in the US. And you get a code just for reading through those six issues on Infinite. So it, I can't help but feel like this is an easy way for them to try and grab a few extra subscribers, people who will mm -hmm. pay. Because in comparison, like it's eight dollars essentially if to flick through the six issues and get your skin. Right. That's actually quite cheap for a Fortnite skin. Huh. So, like, so most of them are at least ten to twenty dollars. Oh, uh, then you hear Matt. This is how we uh, gauge uh, currency these days. We how, how valuable is a Fortnite skin, and that's it. So, right. so when you talk about anything else, you say it's this, this is this is worth twenty Fortnite skins. That's quite expensive. This is this is student rules where everything is measured in how many pints is this. I mean, I never did that, uh, but sure. You know, Fortnite skin is is you know a syllable off from being something completely different. <laughs> so, you know, uh... Look, my point was. I wonder how many people will sign up to DC Universe to get their skin. And then maybe their hope is some of them will go, well, I've got it now. I might right. as well read some stuff on uh, it and that's the maybe hope. cultivate some younger fans. Like if you want if you want your your your, your Fortnite skin, uh go go do it. Or Fort Fort Skin Night. Is that your hope? Just that? Called them fort skins. <laughs> uh so yes. Anyway, so that's what's coming out next week. Uh, yeah. uh, so look forward to that. Uh, Carl, would you like to update us on these teams for the, the tournament books? Oh, yeah, I'd forgotten about that. Let me find the tab. There we go. Uh, so, the again, this is just the, the eight that made it through, so this doesn't count the ones that were knocked out, because we will never know those, apparently, which unsurprisingly includes the JLQ, which got knocked out by Robbins. Right. That was pretty close, though. We thought that might get rallied uh, by the community, but hey. Yeah. Um, so Superman and Lois Ignition is Colin Kelly and Jackson Lansing writing uh, with uh, Vasco Georgiev mm. on art. Mm. Uh, Suicide Squad 7, which I believe was the Harley Quinn Seven Soldiers yeah. mashup, yeah. Uh, is Rex Ogle writing, who I'm not familiar with at all, and Diogenes Neves on art, who... I know her a lot from uh, uh, Demon Knights. He did a lot of work on that. Mm -hmm. uh, so interesting. Uh, we've got Blue Beetle Graduation Day. Uh, Josh Trujillo and, uh, is writing, and then Adrian Gutierrez on art. Uh, Jesse Quick Control, which is uh, the one it's up against, is writer uh, Stephanie Phillips, who is currently doing the, the Harley Quinn book now. Yes, with, with, uh, with art legend uh, Rosmo, yes, Riley Rosmo. Thankfully not on this book. It is uh, David LaFente on, on this one, mm. who I quite like. Uh, Lobo Animal Man Scorched Earth made it through, which is by uh, Heath Corson writing and Scott Hepburn on art, which is against Robbins, which is written by Tim Seeley, because of course it is, because it's a Robin book. Uh, with uh, Valdemar Rivas on art, who I don't recognize, but Tim Seeley, right? 
Sure. Uh, yeah. We've got Green Lanterns Underworld on Fire, which is written by Cena Grace and art by V. Ken Marion. Uh, mm-hmm. Cena Grace, I think, has been doing some backup stuff in Green Lantern recently. Yeah. Sounds familiar. Maybe in the Future State stuff, did backups. I think so. I want, I want to say maybe the, uh, the Jessica Cruz one. Uh, and then that is going up against Zatanna and the King of Nightmares by the Soska sisters and uh, Vanessa Ooh. Del Rey. The Soska sisters? Yes. They did that Black Widow book for Marvel, right? As I guess, well. Yeah, they're the horror directors. That's, that's where I know yeah. from. I know, but as, I mean, like, this isn't their first uh, entry into comics. It's kind of my point there. <laughs> they did the Ceno Evil Kane, right? He'll tell you that. I'm, I'm asking Pete. I'm Bob back. What's up? <laughs> I said they did the Cedo Evil movie with Kane, right? I think so. I don't remember them doing that. Huh. They did American Mary. They did uh, some other things. I can't remember all of them, but uh, yeah, they're, they're horror directors. Uh, who's and next? I like, Vanessa, <laughs> I like Vanessa Del Rey. Who's, uh, that's all of them. Who, who's doing the, uh, I don't know, the next, uh, I don't know, next Green Lantern book? Are we going to get, like, you know, George Foreman in to, to a Green Lantern book? <laughs> I'm sorry, they did see no evil too. There you go. Val, yeah. Val Kilmer is going to come in and write a comic book. He'll, he'll write Look, the new you're, Robin. You're laughing about this, but we've got <laughs> we we've got the the actress who did uh, Dreamer doing the Dreamer story. We've got the uh, I know. I just I wasn't expecting the Suska sisters out of nowhere from this tournament. Yeah, I know, but. Look, I said, I don't know. This would have been I a big shock. Like they had that Black Widow book like a couple of years ago. Oh dear. <laughs> All right, there you go. I will take this time to thank our Patreon producers for the month. Uh, they are Tyler Hess in the Palisades, David Short, Bored Now, Al Treisman, Christopher Moy, David Brown, and Stanley. Not Stanley. Stanley. Not Stanley. Stanley. <laughs> they are all twenty dollars or more on Patreon.com slash TV, but you can support us over there for as little as one dollar per month and help keep the podcast coming along with all the content that Mailfuzz TV produces. You can support us for free by simply hitting the like button and subscribing and all those things on YouTube. If you're on the audio podcast feed, you can rate us five stars on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast from. That helps us out a lot. Uh, helps spread the show around. And you can also do that, of course, by sharing us on Twitter. Uh, of course, you can find us on there at DC Comics Podcast and get some updates, the occasional random, you know, poll or whatever. Uh, so we look forward to uh, things through the social media channels. Yes. Uh, of course, I'll just remind you once again that the top 50 results, obviously many voted in the top 50 DC characters of all time. Uh, we'll be recording that uh, the day after next week's episode, so it'll be up within a couple of days after that. So look forward to that. Um, I promised it'd be out in April, so it will be out because we're recording that on like the 25th, I think. So I'll make sure it's out in those next few days. So it's in April. You've got like five days to get out. That's loads of time. Yeah, uh, we'll see. Um, nah, it'll probably be quite quick. I imagine I'll probably expedite it just because I, I'm excited about uh, putting that out there. Uh, so yeah, it's a big beefy extra episode uh, to celebrate hitting episode 250. So that's what's uh, happening. Maybe we'll even go over 250 minutes. Uh, I, I wouldn't put it past us. Uh, but thank you very much. Don't worry, Connor. I, I'm not being serious. It won't be over four. I was trying to work out. How long that is. <laughs> I was like, hang on a second. That's four hours, ten minutes, just in case you were. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just, was, I, I was getting, I just got to that and I was like, wait a second. 
<laughs> but uh, that is otherwise us. Is there anything else I usually say at the end? I don't think so. I think that's everything. So, uh, yeah, I'm surviving on very little sleep here, uh, and I need to eat. So that's what's going to happen now. Thank you very much for joining us. We'll see you next time. Keep reading DC Comics, and remember to never get lost in the Speed Force. Thank you.